Hello everybody and welcome to the 43rd episode of the Alien vs. Predator Galaxy podcast. This is your usual host, Corporal Hicks, and joining me today is regular co-host Xenomorphin. In the biomechanical flesh. And the occasional star on here, fellow AVP Galaxy staff member and Monster Legacy owner, Omega Morph. Yeah. And I keep tapping him up for guest appearances. Um, he's uh, been on the Space Force, I think. It is community member and AVP Wiki editor, Budapot. Oh, yeah. And thanks for joining us all today, everybody. You know, I say this so often when the topic comes up. It's an Alien vs. Predator website. It's an Alien vs. Predator podcast. The amount of times we actually talk about them together is very minimal. Like last year, I wanted to end the year, potentially. I'm going to hope this isn't our last one, because this is December's podcast we're recording. But if they do, if they release the trailer for, for Alien Covenant, we'll be doing another one. But this is potentially the last podcast of 2016. So for the uh, potentially last one, Decided we'd do Alien vs Predator. We're going to chat about the film. Paul Anderson's generally disappointing film, but this isn't going to be a podcast that's slagging off the film. You know, we're going to try and there's stuff in there we like, there's stuff in there we dislike, and we're going to you know take it quite steady and quite even. We're not going to talk about you know the the old uh, the old scripts. We're not going to be talking about Peter Briggs script or anything like that. We've we've covered that before uh, last year on episode. 30, I believe it was. So, you know, if you're interested in, in the other scripts, you know, pop back to the podcast page and have a listen to episode 30. But this one's going to be just about Paul Anderson's film. I thought first we'd talk a little bit about the first time we saw these. Because to me, the the film, you know, it, it wasn't the bombshell that we're all hoping for, but it holds a little bit of a special place. Because it was the first film that came out after I joined the community. It was... I, did, I didn't work on AVP Galaxy at the time, I was running my own website, but it was the film that sort of helped helped AVP Galaxy really stand out on top and make a name for itself when Darkness was running it. And we've also got a uh, another joiner, his, the fifth passenger is Ridgetop. Well, welcome to the podcast, mate. Hello again, everyone. So, we're just going over how nostalgic AVP was for, for me, and so I'm going to hand it off to one of you guys to sort of tell us about the first time you came across the film. So, Xenomorphin. I, was, I remember back at the time with all the massive discussion over every internet board there was, um, and, you know, everyone was giving their, you know, their own personal speculation of what might happen, what might, because at the time, everybody thought Paul Anderson, you know, not Resident Evil so much as Event Horizon, because, you know, spaceships, horror, and all the rest of it. And I, and I admit, I, at the time, I was really hoping for that kind of dynamic. Um, but I knew, don't get your hopes up too much, because I know nowadays they, they, there's a more of a cult following, for even both of them, really. But at the times of their release, Alien 3, Alien Resurrection, Predator 2, there was this kind of, in the fandom, oh, I wanted it to be better. So at the time, I thought, right, I'm not going to jinx this for myself. I'm just going to go into it with zero expectations. But obviously, Paul Anderson, he's going to go back to his work of Event Horizon. He's, we're going to see some of those techniques in it. And so long as we're going to see that, it's going to go... I think we had a hint at the time where we were going to get this kind of thing of there was alien interaction in our history with the Predators and such. So I thought, oh, that could be interesting if they go into that. So zero expectations, 
went to see it at the cinema. I think it was the second only film of these either series I'd seen at the cinema. I think the last one before that was Resurrection. So second ever experience. Sat down, zero expectations. Watched it. I thought, right, I'll let whatever it is just come over me, and I'll experience it for it. It is. At the end of it, I, you know, I wasn't, oh fuck, and I wasn't, oh my god, that was great. I was just, (laughs) there were some interesting parts in there, but, and there was that thing, everything I've thought to myself, that was, but. So there was this but thing, and and then I thought my, I think my main visceral reaction at the end of it was not about gore or whatever. It was. I wanted Event Horizon Paul Anderson to have, have directed this, not Resident Evil Anderson. And it just felt very much way more in common with um, Resident Evil than it did Event Horizon. And I still think that was a huge mistake to this day. But I could see, you know, I could admit that there was some really nice cinematography in it, especially that historical flashback scene. But I just couldn't in a, escape that it felt very superficial and i think that was my overriding feeling after i'd seen it. i remember coming out of the screening and there were maybe two or three people um commenting going something like oh well, that was a load of shit then wasn't it or something like that and i thought to myself no it wasn't it wasn't like that but i could appreciate you know this wasn't the film a lot of us in the fandom had been waiting for because we'd all we'd read the comic we we read the you know the first draft of Peter Britt's script that had been out in the public domain. We all knew that wasn't the the later one, but we it was one of those projects. But it was one of those things like AVP, the greatest alien film that had never been made, sort of thing. It's one of those things. All the magazine articles were saying you can't get this wrong. This is <laughs> Aliens versus Predator. This the kind of guy who he'd admitted he. He'd spent ages re-watching the original, learning the techniques, blah, blah, blah. And you watch it and you just no, where's my AVP film? This isn't my AVP film. So it was this kind of, not an under, well, I think kind of underwhelming, but it was like, I, I remember def, definitely thinking I wanted this to be something else, but it was just, it felt superficial. But, you know, I wasn't... I wasn't, oh, I hate this. But it was just, eh, why didn't they do better? So I think that that's my memory of having seen it. There was this, I tr- I didn't jump on the hype train, but I thought, well, if it's bad, it's not going to be, you know, bad, bad. And it wasn't, but it wasn't nearly as good as it should have been. And, um, you know, to this day, that's kind of my feeling. But I have grown to especially as more details have come out about the making of it, I have definitely grown to appreciate certain things they did in it that when you watch it, you you don't realise. And they made the film a lot, especially in terms of the actual budget they had to work with. Um, it looks a lot better than if another director had done it, maybe it would have almost certainly looked cheap of the actual budget they had to work with. So after all these years, I think now my revised opinion is that it, it actually looks better than it, it, it you'd have expected yeah, yeah. it to. But there are definitely flaws in it, which at the time, it just, as I say, it just felt very superficial. 
So, um, but I do remember, I will say that I remember my memories of the one thing that did get me going, oh, this could be good, was for those who remember it, that one trailer they did, which was just those little close-ups of the alien close-ups of the predator and I, yeah and i think one was in green light and one was in mm-hmm. blue neon overtones and they got that you know it just gathered pace gathered pace gathered pace and you just i think it was like a predator gun and alien scream or so it was something like that it ended with and you just got that wow that's that's got a vibe to it that could be interesting and yet it was another of those examples where the actual film just wasn't as good as that. I think the historical flashback kind of you got a taste of something close to that vibe from that teaser trailer, but you know ultimately that wasn't. But yeah, I remember that teaser trailer. I liked that teaser trailer, and to this day I like every so often I'll look back at it again. But um, yeah, I, th- I think to this day it's, it's it's one of these things where it's it's nice. Should have been better. Well, what about you, Omega Morph? When was the first time you saw it? Was it in the cinema? Uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't actually on on video rents because I was I wasn't actually allowed to watch it in the cinema because I was very young actually when AVP came out. I was actually nine or something like that, and I have a very fond memory of it because. For two reasons, because one, it introduced me to the Alien series, because when I wanted to watch AVP, my mother insisted to, you know, let me watch the first two Alien movies together, you know, back to back, as a sort of introduction to it. And second, because, you know, I was, a, uh, as a young one, uh, already a, you know, monster movie maniac, so a new monster movie coming out was always big news for me. I remember actually very much liking it because I really liked the, the the whole look of it, the whole you know pyramid designs and you know the whole atmosphere of it. And of course, the creature effects really made an impression on me. I had this bad habit of you know rewinding the specific uh, creature scenes, like the queen scenes or the fight scenes, and. You know, as a young one, I actually really, really liked it. I had no set expect, ex- expectation. I I wasn't a long-time Alien fan, so that might have played uh, a role in, you know, me liking the movie so much. Uh, acquiring new tasters, um, I realized where the defects of the movie lie and, you know, why it doesn't work in places uh, especially when seen, you know, within the picture of the Alien franchise and the Predator franchise. But, you know, looking at it back to the, back today, I still think it's a pretty cool movie. You know, it's something fun to waste a couple hours with, you know, a fun ride. It's nothing evil, unlike the sequel. <laughs> hmm. okay, we don't talk about the sequel. It does not exist. We don't talk about the sequel until we do a podcast on it. Oh, God. Um, what about you, Huda? Uh, well, much like yourself, this was the first alien predator film I ever saw in a cinema. I think I would have been about 16, 17 at the time. So it was the first one that I was able to go and see. Uh, but I was a fan of both the series. I knew the films. Uh, and I, I was I was kind of in the dark coming up to it. I knew that it was happening. But more than that, I had no, I didn't know any inside details. I hadn't really looked into who was directing it or anything like that. So I was very excited. All I knew was that the alien was fighting the predator. 
I mean, I was aware that this had started in the comics, but I'd never read any of them. It was literally the first time I'd ever sort of come into contact with the the whole idea of the crossover. And I was so excited. And when I finally saw the film, I hated it. I, I, <laughs> I It's literally the most disappointed I have ever been by a movie. I mean, I've, I've mellowed to it a lot recently, but the first time I saw it, I was just so gutted at what we got. It just, it was so not what I wanted to see. It was just... The, the whole tone of it, the, the the rating that they gave it, the PG-13 rating, even forgetting the, the blood and the gore and all of that, just the overall tone, it was it it didn't have the darkness of the alien films, the oppressive, like just that the, the feel of fear was just not there. And it, I, res, I really hated the fact that they gave us a teenager movie rather than an adult movie. Yeah, OK, that's a good way of looking at it. Because obviously it, it, it was for the... Um you know, the wider audience, wasn't it? Please come and yeah, yeah. give us all your money. And it was a it, it was a very successful film in the box office as well. You know, it made three times its budget, near enough. Oh yeah, I can certainly see why they did it. I just, it, like I said, it felt, it was, it, it didn't have the maturity that I wanted it to have. No, I'm not going to argue no. that. Okay, well, what about you, Ridgetop? I think you went to the premiere, if I remember rightly. Well, I, I tried to. Um, <laughs> but first off the the first one i saw in theaters was the alien director's cut release the previous halloween in uh 2013 around that time and one of the main reasons i went there not that i wouldn't go and see alien in the theater anyway was they were debuting that trailer you were talking about again was a really excellent teaser in the theater with alien and so that just you know hyped me up completely and I don't know if I've ever been as excited for a movie as I was for this one. So I had heard they were going to do a premiere in L.A. And my parents were already going there on a business trip. So I figured I'd tag along and, and see if I could catch it. You know, if, if not to get in the film, at least to just say that I had been to a film premiere, you know, just to see the crowd and, and you know, all that in L.A. Um, but it didn't happen. It was actually canceled. Yeah, I forgot about that. Out. Yeah. Yeah, the premiere was canceled. I don't know if that says anything about their um, hmm. their faith in, in how the film was going to be received or not, but it was canceled. So I was going to see it in a midnight screening, and they didn't have any midnight screenings in my area. So I saw the first showing the next day. I think it was like 11 in the morning, and uh, it was a few people in the theater. And I was a bit worried about it, but at the same time, I knew what to expect completely because I had read the novelization. And I think... Hmm that kind of prepared me a bit more to to keep my expectations exactly where they needed to be. I just I just hoped that it would be well paced and that no it wouldn't be silly. It would be interesting enough to be taken seriously, I guess. And for that, I mean, I knew the movie was going to have its flaws and I knew fans were not really going to enjoy the story too much because, you know, it's it's not what we want. We want the comics. We want it in space. We want it in the future. But all in all, I thought the contemporary setting was pulled off really well, especially it was such an isolated setting. It felt like otherworldly, you know. And I really, really enjoyed the production design, not only the creature effects, but, I mean, the miniature work they they did and all the sets they built, I thought the ancient alien thing was handled really well. Better than Prometheus. Uh, I know that that might be heresy saying that, but I thought the ancient alien thing was was handled much better and much more subtly in this one. I agree. And, you, you know, I thought the creatures were really well designed. I thought the characters were, were likable enough. I mean, they weren't great. They weren't memorable. The movie was pretty good, in my opinion. But I was excited about the effects we saw and the set design and, and what those designs 
fans would mean for the franchise, like how they would continue uh, or contribute to the franchise. And I think we eventually saw that they did. You know, a lot of designs were incorporated into other projects and elements of the story were incorporated into other projects. And so another really big thing I liked about it was the queen. I mean, we hadn't seen the queen mobile and, you know, since aliens in an alien resurrection, she had like two minutes of screen time and she was just killed instantly. So I think the fact that she had such a big climactic role in this was one of the things that really made the movie for me. I mean, I, I still really enjoyed it and I find more to appreciate, appreciate about it as well, but uh, it definitely has its flaws for sure. But overall, I, I really enjoyed it. For me, it was the first of the alien films that I'm the proud of the films that I got to see in the cinema. I was firmly aboard the hype train for that. Like I said earlier, I wasn't working on AVP Galaxy at the time. I, I was running my own website. Me and Darkness knew each other back then and, you know, we were talking most nights about it. I, I was so excited. I mean, yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't what everybody wanted with, in terms of the setting. But, I mean, we'll talk we'll talk more about the story in a bit as well. But I just, I just kind of kept hoping for it and kept making excuses, you know, the, the rating things like, oh, it don't matter, it's going to be mostly the creature gore anyway, and that doesn't really count for us a setting. And, you know, the novelisation came out, and I was up before school reading it at first light, you know, 5am in the morning kind of thing. And, you know, there was a big gap between it coming out and me actually seeing it, because um, I'm based in, in England, and it came out in August in the States, and we got it... October, towards the end of October. So, you know, there was this huge gap and all the reviews had come out and, and all the fan reaction from the states had come out, so it kind of dampened it. And I went to see it. I think I saw it with my dad, actually. I saw it twice. You know, I'm terrible because... All the new, all the films that have come out since I've been around to actually see them, I've gone and seen multiple times. Hands up, I saw Resurrection like three, not Resurrection, Requiem like three times, just for the novelty of it. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly a novelty. Well, to be fair, I worked at the I worked at the cinema at the time, so I got free tickets. Here we go, yeah. backtracking. But I got free tickets, so it's just like, oh, I've got a couple of hours to kill before a shift. Yeah, you might as it. well. Yeah. Yeah, but you could have just sat outside and not watched it. Yeah, but it was Alien, and it was Predator on the big screen. <laughs> I can identify that. If you get it for free, yeah. why not? To be fair, you know, I haven't. I tried watching it again recently, actually. I got through about an hour before I had to turn it off. And be- <laughs> before that, the last time I'd have watched it would have been about six years ago, and I was doing it for a, a Marge's article, just to count how many were in the film. It took me three sittings to get through it. <laughs> so, you know. I'm doing, uh, you know, over a while, because I'm doing it with a lot of CGI, like a fan film project, as some people on the forum know. And I made a point of sitting through every single one, of you know, chronological order. And I thought, myself, well, you know, regardless of taking it into, factor it into the story or whatever, I want to see Requiem just to, like, learn what from the mistakes, how I would have done the same thing differently and all that. But it, it just feels like a slog to get through mm. requiem does not so much this film anderson's film um which as i say feels superficial but it kind of it trundles along at a, a more agreeable pace it doesn't feel like a chore to get through yeah that's a good way of putting it and so you know I, I was disappointed i did see it again with a free ticket that i got from um, the dvd box set but yeah, I, I couldn't get, I, I couldn't get over it. I, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. Obviously, you know, there was, there was some massive reactions to it. Uh, the, the website got shut down for a short period by Darkness after watching it because he was so disappointed with how it came out. Um, <laughs> short period, wasn't it like two years? That's a sh- short period, surely. <laughs> 
in the grand scheme of things, it's been a, a good, you know, I can't remember, 2003, I think he started the website. I, I think he brought it back when news Requiem was starting was to come out, out about yeah. AVPR. Yeah, so it wasn't until like 2006 he brought it back. So that's when I, I'd, I'd slogged through it actually. Um, I'd kept the website, go, my website going for a while and um, ended up getting fed up with working on it on my own so I went to work on the reincarnate of AVP News if anybody remembers that. That that was like my first entry into the fandom was through AVP News and through the old uh, <laughs> through the old mail groups alt.cult.movies.alien I think yeah. it was. So I went to work on the reincarnate version of that until I got left on my own again and then the um, the Ain't It Cool News review came out for Requiem of the script and that's when I sort of packed it up. But no, when, when Darkness brought um, Galaxy back, he, he got back in touch with me and I offered to help, and I've been there ever since. But, you know, that's that's all. Requiem's a whole other podcast when I finally decide we need to do one of those. Oh, God, help us. <laughs> but, yeah, so, you know, that's how all of us got to listen. To, all of us got to see AVP for the first time. And, should, well, we, we brought it up. Should we talk about the story? So, you know, obviously a lot of us were expecting, hoping, I suppose would be a better word, for it to be like the comics, you know, AVP in space, colonial marines, in pulse rifles, stuff like that. I mean, Either way, I think it was obvious Fox were hoping that this would revive both franchises in one single, you know, two birds in one stone. Um, my favourite part of that, realising how how their hopes were that set up, were like if you look at this script, I think right at the end of it, it says like Lex returns in AVP Annihilation, and you think, oh god, this is really video game like. But they were well, definitely I... hoping, like from a marketing point of view, this would revive, this would give a shot in the arm to both the things, and it just yeah, kind of. I don't know if Shane Salerno's work on the screenplays were uh, very well appreciated by those who saw them. But um, <laughs> I think, I mean, the movie did pretty well. If, you know, if I'm not mistaken, it did better than any other alien or predator movie before it in terms of box office returns. Yeah. I think it's the most profitable. I mean, I don't know the numbers offhand. I can see ABPs now because I've got that old, but I wouldn't be able to work out the inflation stuff for the others, but it made like triple its budget. Well, that's on, that's on the initial box object. I mean, I'd, I'd imagine that... Oh, it's a bit higher now with DVDs. Yeah. in, like, the stuff of, like, yeah, the DVDs and that of the older film, they probably made way more profit over time. But, yeah, I think, like, the initial box office was meant to be big. But, again, I don't know budget-wise, if you adjust for inflation, whether you know that they would have had the same budget as something like predator or aliens or something because if it had a smaller budget then clearly it was going to make more yeah, profit yeah. Regardless. i'm sure that's their mentality in it as well because avp yeah. was so oh, obviously made yeah. on the cheap i mean yeah in the in the commentary with paul anderson he is dead cagey about talking about you know the, the, the budget for the film and yeah he goes on about how they shot in prague for the money it would have cost them I think they said 20 million in LA, 15 million in Vancouver, which of course was where Requiem was filmed and where The Predator is going to be filmed, 5 million in Germany, and then 2 million in Prague. So, you know, that. And it worked, yeah. I think that was something on the set design or something, wasn't it? Yeah, that that, that was the sets that it was on about, yeah. And, you know, you've got to give them to it, because the production design on that film is, that's fucking phenomenal for what they spent on it. Yeah, it does. does, They stretch the budget a hell of a long way with this. This, a lot of the practical stuff it, it looks so much more expensive than it actually is yeah i mean that's one of the things i like about 
Anderson's AVP. I, I was recently rewatching it in preparation for this, for the like I was watching it with the commentaries, but um, I was thinking to myself, you know, it's been a bit over a decade since it was made, but visually it looks like it was released like last year or something. It's on a, it, like cinematography. It's aged really well. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, on that note, did they film it on... They filmed it on film. This was before a lot of movies were filmed digitally because I noticed when watching it, there was um, a very noticeable film grain. I mean, it wasn't anything bad or distracting, but it was pretty prominent. Yeah, I, I think you saw that in the DVD part a lot, yeah. You also have to consider that um, it was made on a pretty short time. They had like something like uh, uh, four months uh, between uh, pre-production and production, and production itself was like three or four months. So not only it was on a tight budget, but it was also on a tight time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a movie that was that had these production difficulties, I think it came out like a miracle or something, like a gem. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a rare case where a movie can come out um, solid. I don't mean, you know, like a masterpiece, of course, but it's serviceable and it's kind of a miracle in the industry to come out like that with these yeah. issues. Requiem had its own issues as well, the time restraints as well, I think, but... Yes. You know, it's, it's like you said, AVP doesn't... It, AVP is a cheap film, but it doesn't look cheap. Requiem is a cheaper film, and it looks, well... Cheaper than it is. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Paul Anderson and, and the team did really well with what they've got for this. And of course, we'll talk a, a little bit about it more as well, you know, with like the, the, the creature effects and stuff like that. I think there was a, a quote from Anderson saying that when you watch the second AVP, you start appreciating what we did <laughs> on the first one. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't, I can't yeah. really disagree with that. No, not at all. <laughs> but, but in the commentary, I do, I do come back to this when we talk about it on the forum. Um, he he does mention that they could only afford like I think it was three lights, three, two or yeah. three. Yeah, three of those Zenon. in America they call them flashlights. Over here we call them torches. But yeah, they could, you could only afford like three of them. And he said in any one shot, it's just like camera angles and creative editing. You think they've got way more of them, but they've only they've only actually got three of them. On. And when you think to yourself, well, they couldn't afford more of those. They were expensive lights, but you know. They couldn't afford more than three of those. You know, they had to keep transferring it between crew members. You think to yourself, well, hell, a lot of the rest must have suffered as a result. But at least they could plan for it ahead because they knew the budget they were working with. But when you think of it in those terms, you think, oh, Jesus Christ, they must have really been like on the wire budget wise. So it definitely the, it looks it looks pretty gorgeous for what it is. Yeah. And, and, and another thing was. Film was lit a lot from those those lights. I think there was Xenons. Yeah, and they had to schedule around uh, the different um, units who needed to use those lights for certain scenes. So yeah. you know, not only do you have the, the the budgetary constraints of that, you've also got the scheduling issues that come from being able to afford three. Yeah. So yeah, it was disappointing. We're all going to slag elements of it off, but I think there's one universal thing there, and it is it looks it looks great for what they have. Yeah. Should we get back to story? Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of people were hoping for in the future, but what we got was was present day in you know in Antarctica, and the present day setting was was a result of was it John or Paul Davis? I can't remember which one it was. I think it was John Davis, the producer. Is that right? Was it John Davis? Yeah. 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 
He well, I know he said he had some scripts that were set in the future, but yeah. like, that that pushed the budget up. And no. I, I think he mentioned that Anderson approached him with this story that was from the inception. It was modern day, yeah. and that was yeah. one of the reasons he he went for it. Yeah. So I think Anderson's pitch was modern day from the start. But the reason they they thought right, we'll get this one rather than the other one was in terms of again budget mm. and he also thought it it made it scarier well the setting the location yeah i i still also suspect it was because he wanted it to be more in in line with predator than alien because he was the predator producer one of them anyway so i i, th- I think there was a little bit of a uh, you know, my franchises uh, thing kind of going off there but what 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 did we think about the setting then what did we think about antarctica and the pyramid and the ice i didn't really like the idea of it being in antarctica especially after you know the predator film had been pretty specific about the predators coming you know only in the hottest years this happens but the actual pyramid i thought was a really neat setting mm. like the the constantly shifting mobile you know the, the sort of how they actually managed to build and power this thing all that sort of logical stuff pushed to one side just as a setting i really enjoyed it yeah i, I agree i agree with the pyramid i, I think it was you know it, it was actually as well as looking cool visually and, and being interesting, it also did actually add to the mythology of the series. Yeah. I mean, you know, mm. it, might, it might not be everything's thing, but that, that pyramid did really sort of influence quite a few of the releases that came out in the next, you know, at least the next six years up until AVP 2010. I remember the computer, the, um, when they brought out like the Rebellions, you know, 2010 computer game, I remember that being one of the multiplayer maps. Oh, it's a and fantastic it map. Really made, yeah, it really made it so much more interesting just as a multiplayer experience. Even when there were just like two, maybe three of you on the same server, just the, this constantly shifting environment. And it really, just to experience that firsthand, it really worked well. I, I played a game yesterday, actually, and it was on that map. And <laughs> All right. So I was like, you know, this, this is actually quite nice. But no, I I agree. I, I think the I think the shifting pyramid was was genius. But it sort of yeah. it brought its own problems to the narrative, which of course we'll talk about later with the whole life cycle thing, because it made it very obvious that these things were you know with, with mm. the ten minute shifts, it sort of really made it obvious how sped up the life cycle was. But we can chat about that in a bit. The Antarctica thing. I think as far as them needing to, them wanting to set it in the um, in in modern day, putting it on Antarctica was probably a good. A good call because of how isolated it is. And yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. It does conflict with you know the, the the quote from Predator about how it, it they only sort of come in you know the hottest weather. But if you look at it from a, a challenge uh, point of view, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know it, it's taking the Predator out of its comfort zone and putting it in an environment, a, a temperature that it's a climate that it, it's not. It doesn't favour. Then I think it works. Well, also it's clear that. When they were originally, when they const- or helped humanity to construct this pyramid, and when the original hunts were going on, the environment was a much hotter environment. It, it, that much is made clear, but it's like, you know, it the pyramid has stayed there, so they're, you know, they're going to still use the same location. But I think I agree with you. When I saw it, I thought, oh no, that I can, I can. I can buy that they the predators thought, yeah, why the hell not? We, it's giving us an extra challenge. And, of course, the pyramid itself is showing you that they want the environment themselves to give them a challenge. So when you factor that in, it, it makes a lot of thematic sense to me personally. Yeah. 
What about you, Omega Morph? What did you think of the Antarctica setting? I never minded the Antarctica setting because when you are going to replace an alien planet with something from Earth, Antarctica is your best bet, along with, you know, some sort of Australian desert. Because when you look at Antarctica, it looks basically like something else than Earth. It doesn't look like your neighborhood. So I think it was, you know, the best choice they could have made setting it on Earth. And, you know, the pyramid thing, uh, actually, as I said before, was actually one of the best things about the movie. Because, you know, all these inscriptions, the hieroglyphs, it really added a lot of atmosphere. And Mm -hmm. and they really set up the vibe. Because I think that AVP's shortcomings are partially, you know, compensated by the fact that it's a very visual movie. It's storytelling, it's very visual. You take a lot of the story from what you see and not what you hear or the dynamics of the script. And, you know, when you actually think about it story-wise, you know, the Antarctica setting, these uh, alien civilization building, Alien vs. Predator actually takes a lot, you know, lives from Lovecraft's, from uh, At the Mountain of Madness. That was the, um, you know, primary uh, story source. And if you notice, Prometheus, you know, a de- um, almost a decade later, what he would leave the same archetype and, you know, make it with um, uh, bald albinos and stuff like that. And so it's not really a problem. It's, it's actually a great choice for me. Really one of the best aspects of the movie. It's up. I thought the story was pretty well done for the most part i think it was essentially an adaptation of the original comic and and like you were saying xenomorphin it had a lot of elements from resident evil from paul anderson's Mm. resident evil film so i think it was kind of a modern day combination of resident evil and the comic which i mean i'm a resident evil fan so i thought the story was handled well the main thing i was initially concerned about was how the ancient alien Thing would be handled if it was going to be cheesy if they were going to overdo it and it would be too unbelievable uh with with regard to the pyramids what they were going to show and all that but i i thought it was really subtle and so i thought that part was was handled very well but um as far as the overall story i thought the inclusion of lance henriksen's character was was pretty well done interesting and i think as far as us fans that was kind of his presence was something we could hang on to in the film i guess <laughs> to kind of be reminded initially that that this was an alien film before we saw the creatures i guess but i think antarctica how they made it look especially considering it was all filmed on on sets uh looked really nice and it, it had the look of an alien world so you could kind of like transport your mind to that place you know and and forget a little bit that oh this is modern day and and things like that but but yeah there's so many similarities to resident evil you know the underground pyramid there's a queen at the center of the pyramid colin, colin salmon's character dies in almost exactly the same way he's cut apart in a laser grid in avp and in this one it was a, <laughs> yeah. a net yeah and i mean they both have a, a you know female star who's trying to survive and figure out what the hell's going on with this place 
Also, so, Michelle Rodriguez was up for the part of Lex, which would have made that sort of I, comparison I, even more. I heard it was Mila Jovovich, but she yeah, was they, they with both Resident were. Evil. Yeah, huh. they both were, yeah. And also the holograms, you know, of the pyramid and the uh, laboratory complex. Visually, it's hmm. a very yeah. similar... A- Anderson has this thing in all of his movies where he wants you to know exactly where you are. Like, in all the Resident <laughs> Evil movies <laughs> since then, it cuts <laughs> yeah. away to this map and it zooms out and circles around it five times and goes back in. So, again, that I thought was was done in a more serious manner. You know, all directors have their their staples. You know, J.J. Abrams likes his lens flares and Paul Anderson likes his <laughs> his mapping sequences. But I I think the the Predators. I mean, this this will kind of go into a creature design here, which I'm sure we'll get into. But I think Ian White did an amazing job with what he had to work with, and what he had to work with was bulky cumbersome suits but even for that i think the predators looked great i think their armor looked great you know we had never seen them that armored before you know the story did what it needed to do it wasn't anything special or something we would remember but you know it was interesting it was entertaining there, there wasn't any depth to the story but i think you know like some of the other movies like alien 3 like resurrection you can watch it later and you you gain more of an appreciation for it i think the when you're talking about the um back to the pyramid stuff that the actual setting i think that was a really good way to entwine the mythos of but because a lot of the time you have either is very heavy on the alien side or very heavy on the predator side i think the hieroglyphic stuff really helped with combine that mythos of both characters because you had that that well you had the, the pyramidal thing you got that a, a hint of that vibe you did in alien when they went in the derelict you know you you can i'm sure someone could work out like a, a comparison of sort of where you have the flare getting fired and it lights up the pyramid it's I think the lighting is a little bit similar to how you saw the, the space jockey reveal with the lighting on there. But you have this these hieroglyphics when it when that did succeed in that kind of fright from the original Predator film. It would have been nice if they'd have put in hieroglyphics, the demon who makes trophies of man, something like that. But um, it brings you back to that kind of like South American vibe, the jungles and the Predator sort of stuff. And I think by by having them intertwined that they called the aliens the serpents, it did, like Omega was saying earlier, it, it brought back that kind of Lovecraftian undertone in a way which... Prometheus was trying to, and yet this was like the cheaper film, and it actually did that. Like like you were saying, Rich, talk about the ancient aliens thing. I think this one did that better than Ridley Scott's Prometheus would do several years later. And another interesting thing is how how many similarities Prometheus had to AVP. I mean, yeah. just in, in some of the scenes, like when they're in the, the cargo hold of the ship doing the briefing, you know, and Wayland's there and they're, yeah. you know, talking about this ancient discovery. And there's so many similarities. If I mean, there's more we could go into, but I won't. But there's there's a lot of similarities between AVP and Prometheus, a lot more than than you'd think. And also, I love that line when we, in terms of the ancient alien stuff, there are people like AVP off, but there are like, you know, some little touches in it that you just think, oh, that's nice. And like, for instance, with the ancient alien stuff, you have, um, I forget his name, but he, he was the, like the Scottish guy in this. Oh, yeah, you in Bremner. You and Bremner. Yeah. And, and they, they get that part Pantamilla. where you see these ancient. Yeah. 
and yet these ancient predator guns that they open that like sarcophagus <laughs> yeah, like, I know case, you go with it. and you have the guns there and and you have this exposition where they're talking a bit about it and then he just cuts through the chase and he says no you don't get it this is like finding moses dvd collection and that <laughs> one line it's a really clever line because that one line encapsulates exactly what he's talking about you know moses doesn't have dvds but it's like finding his dvd collection and he's encapsulated that entire exposition in just one line and the and you can you can imagine like the audience is just sitting there watching it if they don't get what the other characters are trying to across that one line they're going oh yeah i get you and that's yeah it's a superficial film but that was one of those lines in there i really loved i remember that was popular with the the audience i saw it and was there there were some good lines in the film yeah and then there was obviously some terrible lines in the film as well but we can, <laughs> oh yeah we can cover that in the homages bit yeah, that was one of those ones which really cut through the exposition. If you can get a line like that, it's really good because you're all, it, it feels natural and it's yeah, it's it's, parta- it's giving the audience like this is the gravity of the situation, not just information, but it's imposing upon them. This is the gravity of the situation. It's a really good line that was. And I think there's another great thing about all the pyramid stuff because it really gave the film its own sense of identity as well. Yes. Because like I said, you know, a lot of the stuff that came out after this to do with AVP heavily referenced the whole pyramid angle and the whole, that whole kind of thing, which which I think was great. But just, just a hypothetical for you then. Say we retained the, the pyramid. Say we, we kept that whole sort of slave angle. How would you have felt if they'd have just took that and set it on another planet? Well, they did that later in, in the um, game, yeah. Well, in in the the comics, <laughs> I was gonna say, I oh, like yeah. to think the two sequels to to Anderson's AVP are C- Civilized Beast and um, Thrill of the Hunt. Thrill of the Hunt, that's right, because they, they they're both set in the future, but they retain a lot of the elements from hmm. from the first AVP film and the feeling of it. I mean, I I think it could have worked. The ancient alien thing kind of tied more into Earth, but I mean, there are obviously obviously some elements of the pyramid that humans couldn't have or probably didn't build, and the predators did. Mm. So yeah, I I think it could have worked on another planet, but I don't think they should use that idea again. I think they should contain that to to AVP, and if they were to ever do another one, they shouldn't bring the pyramid back. I was I was uh, just thinking more in terms of addressing because a lot of people, when they do complain about the film, they complain about. You know, it being modern day, it being Earth, but to have just sort of, you know, obviously they built all the sets, and the film is largely set inside, inside the pyramid, and they could have just as easily made it some Antarctic region on, on another planet. Would you think that would have improved it? Without just that superficial element. I, th- I think on the commentary, Anderson says the whole the reason he did that was because he said that you know the, not so much predators but aliens they work really well in spaceship corridors, and he said he couldn't find a way to give that same dynamic of like claustrophobic you know tunnel like air ducts and things. So he said that was the whole reason he did it. He said it was to mimic like the scene in the first film with Dallas and, you know, obviously when they're going through the air ducts and aliens, that was what he was trying to mimic. So I think from that point of view, not trying to, not able to figure out something, doing it like that. But with that said, I mean, he could have maybe put it on an oil rig where maybe they were drilling down and they found something, or maybe they could have done it on on the ship and it was you know they had something weird with the ship going on they could have had a lot of corridors in that but i think in terms of like miles and miles of cor- of these claustrophobic tunnels it works really well although it is weird when 
they toss the bomb into the you know the alien air chamber and then like they're like out of the pyramid in less than one minute <laughs> i think they they yeah. should have thought that <laughs> it through a bit but in terms of claustrophobic trauma it does i didn't realize it when until i heard him say that in the commentary and then i thought yeah you do kind of some of those like little really thin triangular tunnels that they do kind of bring that dallas feel back and i think they could have actually played a bit more with that if anything well the predator uh he had the map that's how they could get yeah. out <laughs> yeah i suppose so but you just think he was taking more time to get out doesn't really yeah, explain it'll... how lex can see what's going on with no torch in a pyramid two thousand feet <laughs> under the ice yeah right let's talk a little bit about characters because this sort of ties into um, an issue i have leading up to the film's release anderson was continually prattling on about imitating the structure of alien and aliens in you know in all the behind the scenes featurettes and stuff like that going on about how you know having them wait the 40 minutes until the creature showed up was going to be amazing and gave you all this time to get to know the characters but i personally I don't think there was a single character outside of Wayland that I was interested in. So, you know, you had all mm. this, you had 40 minutes of, of build-up, getting to know these guys, and it just, it just bored me, because I didn't find any of them remotely interesting. What about you guys? I think the characters are probably the film's biggest flaw for me, because like you say, they're just not interesting. Uh, you've got The Wayland character is interesting largely because it's Lance Henriksen playing him, rather than how he's written or presented in the movie. And then the rest of the characters, they're all just so bland. Like you say, that, that, that 40 minutes before you know the shit hits the fan, you just have no real interest in what anyone's saying. And it doesn't help that a lot of the dialogue is so poor as well. well I've got to point it out because it pisses me off every single time. That line between um, Russo and Lex about the, the pistol, the, uh, yeah. the, the whole principle <laughs> of the condom thing. It's just yeah. such a terrible, terrible line. I like that oh, line. It's it so awful. You want it like a condom. Yeah, but who, who like the fuck is line. ever going to say that? She is I'm French. Sure it was, I'm pretty sure I've heard it from somewhere, because I remember when they said it, I thought, I've heard that from somewhere, but I still can't place it. So I think actually that was copied from another film. But to this day, I can't figure out what it is. But I actually like that line, personally. By you, Omega, what did you feel about the characters? I actually think that one of the movie's mistakes was killing um, Wayland so early on, because I really felt, you know, from his speech early on about, uh, you know, having to distinguish between your greatest memory and your last act, you know, comparing his actions to uh, Lex's father's actions. You know, Lex's father who has died on the mm. uh, on this mountain. And, you know, he was comparing himself to Lex's father. And I think that was a great scene. And I think that yeah. really set up that this was Wayland's story. It was the story of a man that wanted to make history um, yeah. besides his condition, beyond his condition, which is something that... You know, was also another thing that kind of, you know, was lifted in Prometheus. And I think this is a much better Wayland than in Prometheus. And, you know, with this said, I think that, you know, he should have lived longer. This is the same problem we have with um, Clemens in Alien 3. He doesn't live enough. He's the best character in the movie and they kill him off like halfway through or, you know, one third through. And... We're left with what are comparatively boring characters. You know, Lex is all right as a leading girl, but she's not, 
you know, something special, something especially well written. And then we have the, the you know, Italian guy, La Luna del Cacciatore. <laughs> <laughs> and that's very ironic because I am Italian. But, you know, beyond saying he was Italian and was played by an Italian actor, we don't have anything to... I was pleasantly surprised that he was killed, though, because... Um, not only I do hate the actor, but um, <laughs> but I was expecting the two of them to to make it through and you know become a sort of you know cliched Hollywood couple. And I was presently surprised when you know we discover him you know all slimed up and about to be uh, chest busted. That was a nice surprise. And I think one of the best character moments for Lex was actually having to kill him, you know, do this mercy yeah. killing. Mm-hmm. That was very, um, you know, I think channeling of the original uh, Alien Director's Cut scene when Ripley has to mercy kill Dallas. I think that was very similar, very similar dynamic. I think it was also out of the original bridge script as well, doesn't um, Michiko? Yeah. She, oh, yeah. She has to shoot one of her uh, co-workers, yeah. doesn't she? But I, th- yeah. I think Sonar, in that scene, Sonar Lathan, when she's actually being forced to kill him, I think she sells that emotion quite well in that scene. Yeah. She does look genuinely distraught, and then she like she drops the gun, and she looks like she's been emotionally trauma. As superficial as the scene, the film is, as I say, that, that she sold that emotion quite surprisingly well. You know, they're very fleeting, but there are a couple of really nice parts. Yeah. In there. I mean, o- overall, I didn't particularly find her very, you know, charismatic kind of leads. Didn't really do anything for me. No, I'd agree with that. But moments, moments like that, I thought were were great. I mean, it's like I said, that scene where Lex and Wayland, and I've, one of the things that pleasantly surprised me about this film was it would have been so easy to make Wayland the villain of the piece like he is in mm. Prometheus. It was nice to see him, like, he's a guy who's got everything, but he's got genuinely, he's got genuine ambition, and it was a nice scene, him playing out, where she's talking about her father, you know, he, on the way down from celebrating her birthday that many feet up in the mountain he you know he had that tragic end and he points out to her well, what do you think he was in his last moments of his life dying in pain or celebrate his little girl's birthday that many feet up and it's one of those little moments that kind of like it makes you think and i think in this as a mega was saying it's it's a very visual film like there are some parts of the scenery that are actually more character more filled with character than some of the actual human characters like at the start that beautiful i think most people even if they hate the film they always say that that reveal of the you think it's a queen alien and Mm. then it turns into a satellite that in itself is like using the scenery as a character in itself and it's beautifully done and like even with the uh, the italian archaeologist you he does have that interesting scene right at the start where he's on this dig um, somewhere in Mexico, I think, and he goes in there and you you get this sense that he is like that kind of like John Hammond type guy in, or the, the Sam Neill guy in Jurassic Park. He, he, he wants to make these discoveries and he's driven by that and he finds that little, um, you know, Pepsi Cola bottle top and you know, it's killed his dreams. It, it, that's a nice little character moment and like, but they don't build on it. And like Col- Colin Salmond, he's interesting because he's he's clearly got a background with Wayland and you're thinking, you know, he's playing this 
he's Colin Salmond. He's playing Colin Salam Salmond in every Anton film. He's this like moody guy who's got he has an early death but you he you're kind of intrigued at what is their history what how did they make it's never given a chance that they, they just don't bother with anything like that mm. whereas in something like jurassic park you have the, like the lawyer had his little idiosyncrasy but he dies early on but the characters you're left with you're interested with because you're given a little insight into what makes them tick personality wise in this film you don't really get there they're just that they're just like they could have been interesting and if they'd have gone that little bit further with them but you don't get that they are just there to be redshirted yeah. or, or yeah or in the case of um sebastian you know he's his purpose after that point is pretty much just to explain the film well yeah and to harden lex yeah. because after that moment she hardens yeah and it's like you're saying earlier with the, with the Pepsi bottle thing as well. You know that that's a cool little moment, and then he makes an, an necklace yeah. out of it, which is which is pretty interesting as well. Yeah. But you go nowhere with his character. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Omega, I'm interested. What does he actually say in Italian? Uh, he says that he's shitting himself, basically. <laughs> oh, okay. He says this. Uh, non vedo l'ora di uscire perché mi sto cagando sotto Qualc- uh, or something like that and the literal translation is I can't wait to come out of there of there because I'm shitting myself that's what he says <laughs> that's literally what he says interestingly enough in the Italian dub he says something completely generic like something like right. um, the same thing everyone else would say you know she asks uh, what would you say? And he says that anything else that you guys will say. Something generic. They didn't even try to, you know, make a joke. Because <laughs> uh, I know Anderson said that. he got somebody to give him a phrase, but he had no idea if it actually meant what he wanted it to say. So, <laughs> uh, mystery yeah, solved yeah, after all these years. I remember that from his, his interview. I watched an interview with him. He's actually a very bad actor, and the AVP is <laughs> one of his best performances. If you look at, you know, the Italian <laughs> movies he does, it's just, you know, eye candy for for the girls. It's, it's not yeah. a particularly good actor, but in AVP he has a sort of vibe, a sort of, you know, subtle thing about his performance that, you know, really gives him an edge, at yeah. least compared to his other movies, which I imagine you guys haven't seen. Well, I, th- I think this this film, the, a lot of the characters have the share that same problem with Prometheus in so much as in Aliens, Aliens had a lot of, you know, Marines, they had a lot of characters, but, you know, by the end of it, whether you, you know, you, you hated them or you, you, you kind of liked them or you loved them, whatever, you had some kind of emotional reaction to them after they met their end, whatever it was, you had some kind of emotional reaction to them. They had In AVP, yeah, but you had some kind of, you know, You're when they, they died or, so, yeah, you, you had some kind of response to them when they passed away. In this film and Prometheus, a lot of the characters, they die and you just don't feel a response to them. They're just like background filler. And it is unfortunate because it didn't need much to alter that. Like in Alien, I mean, a lot of Alien, the story is like painting by numbers, but they do have those little tiny character moments like in the Nostromo and they just touch down on the surface and Ripley goes to meet Parker and Brett and they're like having this little verbal bitch fight kind of thing and, you know, he says, what, what, what? I can't hear you. And she wanders off and like he then turns off the pipe and you can 
he could have turned that off at any time he wanted. He was just like trying to get at her. And it's a nice little character moment, which doesn't actually need any much, but it like, it filled you in on some of their personalities. Whereas this, you don't really get anything like that. from them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's so blank. As far as characters go, uh, actually, this is, might be a bit controversial to, to say, but I really thought that uh, Iron White's performance as Scar was really interesting because, you know, it's a non-speaking character, but the body language, I think, really worked towards, you know, bringing some sort of personality to this predator. For example, in, mm-hmm. in the scene we were talking about earlier on, where Lex has to kill Sebastian, and he looks at a, like something like, you really can uh, imagine what, what his mind is going on, and maybe is thinking that, you know, why is she so shaken or, you know, why is she um, acting like this? There's nothing, you know, unusual about this. Or when he kills the chest buster, you know, and snaps his neck and he shakes the head, you know, in disgust. Or the deleted scene where he has this sort of black humor and, you know, triggers the alien's brain to... Mm. Um, to, sh- to shoot the tongue out and making her, you know, startled. That was, that was, I think, really interesting and an angle to the movie uh, people don't really talk about because everyone is pissed off that this, this is not some sort of brutal, savage predator and this is instead some sort of, you know, comic book hero. Uh, I, I do think that Ian White is probably one of the best things about AVP and Requiem. I mean, I think you see a lot more of it in... In, in Requiem and how capable he is to sort of um, Kevin Peter Hall's body language but yeah, yeah. He, he was very good in that um, but obviously has a more uh, slimmer suit in that I suppose so it as well as his performance as a sort of visual profile it looks a lot a lot more faithful um, to the originals but yeah he, he just yeah there's a, there's a complaint about about AVP which is you know it's always about the, the short squat predators, but you can always you can always tell when it's Ian White in the suit and Ian White when he's doing the acting, and it just looks so fantastic when he's when it's him when you know it's him. Yeah. Well, they did have a problem. I did mention in the commentary. I think they they were scouring for guys that were like of a certain height, but they like they was it they they couldn't get them slender enough or they had people that were slender enough but they couldn't find them tall enough and they they always had that from like some guys they found were one but not the other and i think one of the stuntmen who was doing one of the predators the um the the adi guys they're 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 saying like oh he looks like this huge guy in person and he said oh have you anyone told you how tall you are and yet they put him in the predator suit and they said they felt like telling him has anybody told you how short you are because it like the suit made him actually (laughs) look like he had they said he actually had he had a very long torso but his legs were actually quite short and they didn't quite realize that until they put him in the suit it was really interesting actually listening to the ADI commentary because you know they were complaining about the shots when you could see it was a stunt guy you know and you could tell how squat the, the fella was and you know it was kind of cool to hear them having a gripe about it as well. Mm. So let, let's let's talk about the predator suit then. Let's talk about the predator designs because like like I said, I think when you when it is Ian White in the suit, even with all that armor on, it looks fucking brilliant. I mean. It, have you ever met Ian White? Have you ever seen him at a convention or anything? No, I haven't, no. The guy <coughs> is fucking huge. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I met him this year? 
That's good. I think it was this year, and it got out from behind the um, the table, and there's a picture of me and him, and he's just towering above me. I mean, I'm not a, not a massive fellow, but I'm pretty average. I'm about five ten. Yeah, about five ten, and it's just it was ridiculous just looking up at him. <laughs> but he's played. He's played. He's one of the the um the engineer in Prometheus. Yes, he was. Well. He was the last engineer. The final engineer. So he's, yeah. And so let's talk to predators then. I mean, what what did you guys think about the suits? Um, Omega is our resident sort of creature effects guy. Do you want to want to take this one first off? Well, what I want to say is that ADI frequently gets you know the flack for turning the predators into these bulky uh, things. But we all have to remember that everything the predators are in this movie was strictly Anderson's request. He wanted them to be more um, comic book heroes than, you know, villains like in the the, uh, earlier movies. So he wanted, you know, big shoulders, big muscles, big, um, big everything, actually. Big blades and shurikens. Did they make his head bigger as well? Yeah, the head is bigger. The the dreadlocks are longer. He wanted uh, the the dreadlocks to be longer because he wanted to punctuate the movements of the head in a in a more uh, dynamic way. He wanted the dreadlocks to you know follow the movements of the head with the quick turns in a way that would be you know dynamically interesting and he also well, you get that to... on like shampoo commercials don't you <laughs> where a woman moves her head and it, it, so l'oreal i wanted the yeah i wanted to have a thing where a predator moves and just have that like one of those l'oreal things like don't hate me because i'm beautiful or something but it's all... that, it that same that you're using the, the dreadlocks as like miniature whips to accentuate that movement of the head, don't you? Yeah, and he also wanted that to be reflected in the in the face of these predators because he, when you see the eyes, I, I think, you know, a lot of people say that they didn't use contact lenses on this one. That's actually wrong because they did use uh, contact lenses, but they had more warmer tones. When you look at the, the original Predator, they look the eyes look very reptilian or amphibian to them, very beastly, very animalistic, and that works for the character. But Anderson wanted them to be re- relatable. That's also yeah. the reason they have you know a bigger chain, you know, a more human-like chain and more teeth and i'm actually not that uh, against this intention it's a different predator it's a different iteration of the character so i'm not really harsh about it it's not my favorite design of course my favorite is the one from predator 2 but you know it's not that it's not that bad what i do think that is wrong with these characters is the way the mandibles close because um in the original movies, you had a certain pose, a certain way the mandibles closed, you know, that really fit tightly on the face. Whereas in these AVP movies, where in phase one and in the sequel, the mandibles are all over the place. They never close properly. And that kind of, you know, bugs me, but it's not a major complaint. And talking about the armors... I think that they made the right choice in making them, you know, bigger and more muscular because as they say in the commentary and the, you know, making of documentaries, these things are fighting aliens. They're not fighting humans. So having bigger blades, um, bigger plasma casters and, you know, more muscular uh, kind of anatomy helps 
towards that cause. Anderson also, you know, wanted to modify the aliens. The aliens are also bulkier because they're fighting predators. You know, it's like they're both, you know, training out for their opponents. And I'm really in love with the mask designs, actually. I really love all the mask designs we have body in this language, movie, or... especially Celtic. Really brilliant um, design. Carlos Juanti designed the look for these for these helmets, and I think it's actually known my favorite Predator helmet because it has this you know rounded cyberpunk look to it, and it's really brilliant to me. I also like the scar helmet and the Elder Predator helmet, you know, with the hole in the center, like it's some sort of gladiator. Or an ancient yeah, warrior that I, like I really that. like. And it looked like Spider, didn't it? That one? Like a spider mm. head one? Yeah. I think that was that Cyclops like one. I really did like that. And I think Chopper was the Cyclops, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, Chopper had a single visor thing, like a Cyclops from the X Men movies. <laughs> Is it Celtic's mask that's based on the original design for the first Predator before they changed it? Yeah, the Gort mask, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually what they say. But I think that was kind of a response to the fans because fans noticed, you know, they kind of similarities. And then they said, yeah, it's like that. But I don't think it was actually the original intention because in the concept art, you see the development of the design from Carlos Juanti's early sketches. And when you actually look at both masks, it's it's uh, the only similarity is the fact that they are complex looking with, you know, made sort of... Uh, creases and ridges but when you look at the, the details and the structure of them they're actually very different the only thing that they, they effectively share is the uh, bridge of the nose or you know the corresponding area that's the only really similar part but otherwise they are very different actually okay what about you then Hudo? what did you think of the predator design i really hate the redesign of this film it's another one of the things that <laughs> I really don't like about the movie. I just, I, I hate it. One of the things that was great in Predator is you've got Arnie, who's this muscle bound beefcake and the guy fighting him isn't that <laughs> at all. He's just incredibly tall and lithe and agile. Whereas in this, they made the Predators into muscle bound beefcakes. And I, I read, I, they just always look, there's a few shots, especially some of the slow motion stuff where they just look so bulky and and yeah. sluggish and it, it it's it's completely not what the predator was in the first two movies uh, uh, technically i think that adi did a fine job i just i don't like the look that the film went for with them are you reached up so I think as far as the Predator designs go, there were elements about them that I thought worked really well. I thought some of the changes to the face uh, that you were talking about, David, were pretty well done. I think the, the thing with the teeth was interesting and the eyes was interesting. I don't know if it necessarily really helped the design. I think the coolest thing about it was the armor. I think the fact that they had gone from this minimal armor to seeing what a full suit of armor would look like was pretty cool. And especially when you see Celtic in that first fight rip off the pieces of armor when when they're melting that that was interesting to see as well and you did see some of the minimal armor later in the flashback sequence mm, yeah everybody was pretty much in minimal armor in the flashbacks weren't they yeah but i mean the predators looked fine i think it, it was adi's first time ever doing the predators for that studio if i'm not mistaken and um they they were bulky they moved a little too slowly compared to to how we had seen before and i mean maybe that was what anderson wanted and and what adi did 
kind of made it a bit too impractical for the actor to move around in it. They certainly corrected that with the next one because we we got the slimmest predator we had ever seen in in the sequel. Didn't they use a completely different material for the suit construction in uh, Requiem? Yep. Though? And and there's also yep. there's also the fact that they they built the they built the AVP predator suits with the intent of having the um, you know the, the the modular armor on it as well. So it wasn't a suit with Mm. With with the armor sculpted onto it, like in in Predator and in Predator Two, it, it was a bunch of generic bodies that they literally then put more armor on to depending on who the Predator was supposed to be. But it sort of really adds to the mass, adds to the the bulk of the profile. There's another thing we have to consider about the Predator's faces because this was the first movie where they used foam rubber for the faces, um, mm. and that kind of had a different feeling to it because. In the earlier movies, they had silicone. And that was actually a point the Strauss brothers made for the Requiem Predator, because they went back to silicone. And another thing is that they didn't use uh, KY jelly. Uh, they didn't use the slime to, you know, wet it up and make it look more organic. I think one of the key parts of the success of the Predator effects in the first two movies was that they had this layer of slime to them so that it looked yeah. more organic. I don't know if you have in mind that shot of the first Predator where, you know, Arnold backhands him and mm. he turns and he turns back and just moves the the mandible a little and then just backs him around. That was the greatest shot. And you can see all the, you know... The slime on it. And on Alien vs. Predator, they didn't use the slime. And I think that was a kind of uh, misstep. Because the intention was, of course, that to distinguish them from the aliens. Because, of course, the aliens are the slimy ones. But I think they lost kind of a bit of um, organic quality to them without putting them this, you know, slime, uh, slime layer. Yeah. Well, they certainly slimed up the aliens. They were probably the slimiest we've ever seen. Yeah. You see, that is, that's always been a memory I've had of, of AVP, is how, you know, they, they didn't look quite as moist, they didn't look quite as alive. And you see, it, it, they always look terrible in the stills, you know, especially in the stills. And I had that in mind when I was watching watching the film, you know, in sort of preparation for this, because, you know, I was slagging off. Requiem earlier and how long it been since I'd really watched those and AVP is I don't watch it as often as the others but going into it thinking about this I couldn't help but notice that the the Predator wasn't as wasn't as dry as I always remembered it to be and there's bits where it looked obviously it, it didn't look as slimy as the aliens but it still had a, quite a nice little sheen on it um, especially sort of when this is going to be another one of those I'm going to get crucified for moments, but like when um, Scar takes his mask off, you know, I have these memories of terrible screen caps of, of how shit it looks, how <laughs> dry it looks. But, you know, I, I literally, I watched it again today uh, with one of the commentaries on, and I thought it looked, I thought it looked fine. I thought it looked, you know, a lot better than I'd remembered. And my only problem really with the slime ten, tended to be earlier on in the film where you got the torso. And, you know, the torso looks bland as fuck. You know, there the, doesn't seem to be a great deal of patterning on it. And there's literally no sheen at any point then. Mm. So I'm just wondering if, you know, maybe I've got memories from early on in the film that are sort of influencing it. Because I thought he looked bang on at the end of the film. I thought it looked fine. Anybody else feel that way? I think those screenshots yeah. you're talking about, they, they really accentuate it in a way that's not fair to the movie. 
in in when you see it in the film in motion it's 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 nothing like as as rubbery as the those shots would have you believe yeah there were a number of production stills that definitely you know under different lighting and obviously those screenshots weren't being directed by anderson or anything um they didn't do the the final look of the creatures justice i don't know if you guys remember the the big website that they had set up to hype the movie that's another thing the hype for this movie was insane that fox did like before we had a teaser they had a whole pre-production video where anderson walked us through his ideas and and they had put up this big website with a lot of eventually it had a lot of production stills and it had a gut aim on it didn't it as well i think that was the next one right yeah it was several games for requiem yeah. But no, I mean like a game on the website and it's like, I think... Yeah, that's what I mean. There were several web-based games for Requiem. Yeah, and if, you, if you got certain combinations right, you like, you unlock things to gain access to certain features or something. It was all videos or something like that. But yeah, I, I remember that it being hyped massively too, yeah. But anyway, as far as the um, the Predators looking convincing, the main thing that I thought could have been done better was the, the servos on the mandibles moved a bit too quickly and erratically sometimes. And so it wasn't like a, a slow, natural-looking movement that you kind of saw in the other two films. It was very, like, super quick and snappy how the mandibles mm. moved. I don't know if any of you guys noticed that, but it seemed, I don't know, a bit too robotic, I thought. There was something slightly off about the movement, but, I mean, when I saw it, I, I kind of put it down to the fact that it was new technology. I know that in the behind the scenes stuff, when they're they're like exploring how quick to make the face hugger legs go, there is there are some bits of footage where they're they're doing it way too fast and they're going, oh yeah, that looks really good. And it's clear that at, at some point later on they altered the speed. So I think that would have probably applied to the um, the predator articulations too. But I mean, I liked that it was more of an articulated mouth. It did. It definitely allowed them the animatronics to give Scar that added, um, you know, it could do a lot more in the way of expressions than the previous one. And I think it's interesting to, if we're going to compare Scar, um, he was essentially what Broken Tusk would have been. Um, and I, I think that kind of range of expression definitely helped with that. But the fact that he didn't take his mask off until much later on um makes you wonder was that much added articulation really needed in it i I think the the only real note of it you get early on is when he takes his mask off and he starts to put the the mark on his on his face and yeah really articulated eyebrow sort of movement just to signify his pain yeah that that was actually a nice little touch with the eyebrows yeah see that's all i ever remember of that yeah i I think with the predator bodies the organic components of it's it's interesting when you when you think back and again this is in some of the behind the scenes footage there there's a scene where one of the adi guys and he's introducing one of the people who are working on the suits to be you know the actual predators and they've got some of the like these nude ones hanging up on like coat hangers beside him and he's saying yeah yeah this is for this scene where they um they come out of crow sleep and when you actually i think it's either in the novelization or or the script um there is an actual scene where they're meant to have come out of these like cryostasis pods which is all like this um i guess it, it might be the same kind of liquid that the queen is preserved in now thinking about it but they kind of step out of it and you see them fully naked and then they go into this other chamber where you see where they kneel like before this statue of this god that represents lightning and I, from oh, yeah, what i remember that, that was 
Yeah, and that scene is meant to convey that they got the idea for their their shoulder cannons, their energy weapons, because they have this actually, it comes from their, they've got some kind of religious overtones to why they've gone down to the the um, the root of this kind of like energy weapon stuff. And it would have been a nice little culturable, cultural thing. But that scene has wasn't on the deleted footage, but they definitely did make the suits up because they've even got like this, this like bulge by the, by the crotch where it's like it's like their genitals are clearly like sheathed in and they would have been complete they would have been meant to have been filmed new so i don't know if they would have used those suits and like put the webbing and armor on them or what but they would have definitely been looking at how best to like light them just as organic nude predators so it is interesting when you look at the what what you're seeing about it as you were saying, like the the sheen on the skin and stuff, they would have actually ironically been doing more research in how to do that than they would have ever been necessary for the the actual Predator films. I actually think they used um, miniature puppets for that intended scene you are talking about, as opposed they to... Been, these, were, these were full-size suits. They were... Yeah, but they also used um, miniature puppets. They actually... Yeah, yeah uh, they also, yeah. Built them, but... They were deleted. If you actually go on, it was on some crew members Facebook page posted. I don't remember which, but they built miniature puppets of the uh, nude predators and mm. the full armor predators. Because it would have of been course, interesting. The, hmm? It would have been interesting to see that. I, I don't know why it didn't appear on the um, the deleted stuff on the DVD. I don't think they filmed it. I mean, it's, no, they it's, didn't. Ah. It's in the novel, and the one script that's actually out there for Anderson's, which is, I don't think it's the shooting no, uh, shooting script. I think it's, it's probably one of the, the mid-ground ones. The, the the whole cryo story, the cryo sleep bit's in there, but the, the, the god stuff, the statue stuff isn't. Right. You know, and it's a shame actually because I would have I would have liked to have seen it more from a this species has a completely different kind of method of um, of cryosleep yeah. just for it to have been so different from Alien. Yeah. Just to sort of talk about what Omega was talking about, the only I only ever really remember seeing them doing a um, doing a miniature marquette of of, of that um, you know with the whole micro penis predator thing that they've got going on. <laughs> I think the the stuff of that we talk. I think um, Ridgetop mentioned it earlier about a lot of the fans were kind of like looking forward to a future, like something set on the in the future. Um, one of the like the problems you'd have with as a storytelling technique is you that would have probably demanded more radical change of the, their armor and such because you would have had to have otherwise had the audience wondering well why hasn't their technology advanced as much as humans has in that time but they kind of i think they they thought of some of that in the early parts of this film because if you remember the early trailers they did have that um a scene or two from that historical flashback in it and the, in that one the predators were shooting red bolts and then when it came to he put that gun on his shoulder in like the modern day he was shooting the the blue bolts whereas when you actually had the in the film um they 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 clearly decided better of that and for whatever reason they had the the historical flashback predators shooting the same color bolts as they do now but i, th- I think it would have added something because then the audience would have realized yeah that was more ancient technology the predators were using way back then and it would have been interesting to learn why they changed that because I think that would have added something to the film. 
What about the aliens then? What about the alien suits? They were the resurrection well, that, suits, weren't they? I think um, you'd probably know this better than I would, David. Did they change the teeth at all? Because I think the teeth were a bit more crooked in resurrection, if I remember correctly. No, no the teeth were actually the same. The only thing that they changed, because the AVP suits were actually the resurrection suits, because in resurrection the uh, suits had the uh, human-like feet, because they had to be replaced by the uh, frog-like legs. But in AVP, they didn't have that. Um, they changed the so hands, though, They right? changed the hands because they, as I was saying earlier, they wanted the Predators to be bulkier because they were fighting aliens, but the same applied to the aliens. So they wanted the aliens to be able to tackle the Predators. So they wanted a bit more of vicious kind of talent. So they made the, the hands thicker. If you look at them, if you look really hard to them, you know, with a lot of focus. You see that the fingers of the aliens are actually thicker. And that's because they wanted them to be, you know, they look stronger, you know, strong enough to tackle from Predator. But for the rest, they didn't really change the design at all. They uh, painted it with uh, blacks and jet blacks and uh, silver and gray highlights, which I think works better than the uh, Resurrection Core skin, actually. Another thing I really liked, and one that doesn't get really talked about, a lot, is the way they puppeteered these aliens. Because when you actually look at the way their lips move, they move very, you know, statically, very kind of like um kind of like a rattlesnake, if you think about it. You know, it's mm. the alien version of a rattlesnake. They go the, yeah. they have these very quick movements. And I really think that was very organic looking, very kind of setting them apart from the earlier aliens. Because when you look, every every alien movie has this hero shot of the alien uh, slips, curling apart, revealing the teeth. But if you look at, you know, the earlier movies, the lips slowly curl apart, the, the mouth opens and then the tongue shuts out. In this movie, the lips move up and down very quickly before this strike happens. And that, I think, set these characters apart from the earlier iterations. I really liked that. I think, for me anyway, it was really refreshing to see the aliens black again. Because, you know, since Alien 3, they had been brown. And they had been started to just be portrayed more brown and I was almost a little worried, like, oh, are aliens just going to be brown now and that's it? But <laughs> I think the black worked really well, especially with the dark pyramid sets. The black yeah. aliens worked very nicely. There were some minor silver tones, but I think they, they really went more for that with the sequel in, in AVPR, not to get too into that. But I thought that was interesting as well, how, how the aliens were almost more gray and, and silvery, whereas in in AVP, they were more, you know, shiny black. But uh, I think, especially with the resurrection suits, you know, a lot of people had a problem that, oh, the look of, of the resurrection suits can really only be justified in alien resurrection because of human DNA. It's just too fleshy. But I think, you know, it, it was simply just a design to choice. Choice. I mean, in this one, it was more of a budget choice, really. But yeah. if the director was okay with it, then, you know, I think it was fine for the aliens to, to look like that because that was the most recent iteration we had seen so we could relate to it. And I think the black complemented the, the ADI designs really well, personally. I completely agree. Um, I think it just just a simple, simple color scheme change made those suits look so much better. And you, you, you mentioned about it being based on, on the 
but it is the resurrected suit because, like you said, it was it was for monetary reasons. They could just use the old moulds rather than make anything new. And it's something that always makes me smile because it's that old theory slash story about how the um, I suppose we'll talk about this this relatively soon actually about the whole um, sped up life cycle thing. And there was a um, there was a story that Paul Anderson had been at Q and A Q&A and told everybody that it was all due to uh, the predators messing around with the alien. Did you say the hormones or something stupid like that? Yeah. And I, I think it was a completely fabricated story that a fan had made up. Um, yeah. Because there was yeah. somebody else had been at the same event and said that Anderson said no such thing. But it always kind of amused me because you could always sort of explain away. Yeah, <laughs> the, the 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 suit and and the whole fucked up life cycle with with that reasoning. Yeah, definitely. Don't you see like things going into the queen's neck when she's chained up? There's some sort of restraints, but I don't recall seeing any sort of injectiony stuff. I don't think there's like tubes going in her neck, but I mean it's obviously like there's a big metal clamp on the actual egg sac so i think you could say there might have been things internally like needles or something going into the egg sac which were like unseen but i don't think there was any like tubes or anything going into her neck it's all family of course anyway yeah, yeah. i mean obvi- obviously the time of um incubation is just going to depend on the needs of the plot when it comes down to it but uh <laughs> i think i never had too much of a problem with with that excuse i mean the predators do have some you know acid proof materials as we've seen and so i think they could you know they're impatient they want to get their hunt on so <laughs> i could completely buy into it yeah but just just to sort of talk about the design again but the thing i don't know about you guys i absolutely fucking hate those hands i really do yeah <laughs> they look they look goofy as anything they don't look like i don't think they look like an adequate weapon to me a number of times you just see them, and they're obviously made of rubber, just sort of like yeah, they're bendy, and, yeah. yeah. I, I much, I much prefer the the original sort of um, six fingered hand of Giga or the um, the, the five fingered humanoid hands from England. What would massively help is if I mean you ha- even on the commentary you have the IDI guy, IDI guys going um to manage to get those dorsal tubes to stop flopping around so they were aware there were shortcomings of the suit but i think i mean like with the back tubes they could have stiffened them with some kind of bony like fiberglass internally or something i think if they had done what they did for the predator mandibles in the fingers for the aliens that would have really helped there's also there are also some shots like when one of the i, I don't know if it was I think it must have been Scar when he like he's just standing there and an alien is silently crawling down the wall and he just he just chops the front of its head off with a shuriken thing and at that point and he says oh yeah and here's where they use the dummy and the alien just collapses on the floor it's so obvious it's a dummy because all the all the limbs just bend like rubber and they should have just reinforced the internal parts of those limbs with fiberglass or something to make them look like they're they're hardened exoskeletal limbs because it looks like what it is and that was the problem with a lot of as well but especially so the alien in this film in like alien and aliens and predator and predator 2 you got they like set landmarks for this doesn't look like a guy in a suit this looks like a living creature whereas this and it's not just because you see close-ups of them but it's just what they with the suits and such you you rarely get the impression this is a living creature you there's always some kind of accidental cue where you psychologically go that's a guy in a suit 
and you can't help thinking it's a guy in a suit or you can't help thinking that's a dummy usually it's where they actually use cgi like where you have the aliens do that like rap to like leap and run towards the alien queen to rescue her that it kind of like you know it's cgi but at least it's like it's moving more believably like even on the historical flashback you have all the aliens jumping up the side the running up the side of the pyramid which is great and you have that thing where the predators they just extend their spears and you're doing this like the last stand scene and it actually looks great but then you see the predators get knocked over onto the ground and you're just having these all these guys in alien suits just going with their big old rubber hands and it looks like like a, a, an american wrestling thing it doesn't look like aliens and predators they're just going and they look like they're doing these little girly slaps with these big old hands instead of like ripping these predators apart and at that point, it like it, it breaks your willing suspension of disbelief. Whereas if you'd have just like gone up and you'd just seen this fountain of green blood or something, and you don't see them go doing this like doggy paddle thing, because they're not even biting them or clawing at them, they're just like rubbing these predators, and it looks yeah, a bit ridiculous. And it's only the fact that you're seeing them for just like one or two seconds that if it had lasted any longer than that, it would have like been mocked mercilessly. But yeah. I mean, you have the same thing happen like when you have that first confrontation with grid and it's this one scene they should have choreographed the fuck out of and yet you have these things where they've obviously done a a deliberate choice of the like the second unit director or anderson or whoever and they've said like yeah let's remind people we're going to call the alien bugs so when the the alien gets knocked over and it just kind of like squirms around on the floor and goes and it's just doing this little circle i'm thinking you're not a cockroach. You're physically capable. If they should have had it either land like a cat, or they should have had it immediately be able to right itself. But it's just squirming mm. around. With, and I think it does it not just once or but twice. And it just looks really it. fake. It just looks so fake when they're doing stuff like that. That whole fight scene, that is what everybody wants, waits for, sorry, in the film. You know, it's the yeah. title of the fucking film. And it is... <laughs> They had one job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have one job. You make us wait forty minutes for this. It's just it's terribly choreographed. It some really parts, is. Some parts of it are nice, nicely done. Like the alien gets the tip of its tail cut off, and then it's just using that as a weapon. Yeah, that, that, that's then, cool. Even then, when you're watching, you, I think the ADI guys mentioned this. When you're seeing the alien like flick its tail, it's painfully obvious that he was actually, and he was actually told. Don't use your arms, put your arms by your side. And when you look at that, you can see he's just got his arms like rooted to the side of his hips and it just doesn't doesn't look... Doesn't Tom Woodruff uh, talk about that in the commentary? He's like, I wanted to move my arms around, but... And they didn't let him. They told him to just be safely <laughs> there. And that's that's a lot of the problem with the you have these CGI shots when it leaps on the predator from that from that hole. See, I up thought, above, I and thought it looks that was nice. a great little shot, yeah. Yeah. And yet you have this other stuff where they're using the hydraulic alien. And they, it was interesting that they used that specifically because they said we couldn't find someone like thin enough, so they wanted to do that so it would have that skeletal waist. But the kind of the movements they're doing with it, it's it's like it's not how you want it to move and like it's again it's where um one where lex is meeting scar for the first time and the alien intrudes and she gets that spear and it like jumps on her and it impales itself and it's moving its head around and its tail around 
and it's just keeping its arms beside it and it just you're just thinking this should be the most vicious creature in the galaxy possibly several galaxies that the predators use because everything else is just like not good enough for them and it's doing less than a human being would in the same situation and you know what bringing up that scene is reminds me of another thing that i've it's petty kind of and it's a little issue but are you gonna say the tale no not the tale i'm i'm <laughs> thinking the um but it's 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 talk about the the hydraulic puppet because i think the puppet was great i love the puppet but there's one thing that always pissed me off when they were using it it was the force of the uh, the inner mouth. Every time okay. they used that inner mouth, it looked it looked nowhere near as impressive as it in you know an alien or the others. It just mm. it seemed to go out at such a slow rate that it was like yeah, it's just going to bounce off that guy's head. <laughs> <laughs> you also you do you can't help note it looks really cool when you have the alien impale that predator behind with the tail and it turns it up and you have that great face to face. But every time you see it, you can't help but wonder, are there two aliens in there? Because they literally did have an, a, the tail, just removed it, yes, or they used a second tail. It looks way, way, way too long, even though how that scene, that's a scene which is choreographed really well. But you cu- you always think that tail looks way too long. Yeah, it's long. like three times. The yeah. That it, it's ne- it's yeah. never that long at any other point in the <laughs> No. <laughs> but I mean, even the, the predators, the predators look great when they're standing or they're striking a pose. And yet, I mean, again, with them, it's the movement. I always come back to when we're talking about like what will, like the p- potential Alien 5, what are we looking forward to? And I say like, look back at Aliens and that scene where that one, that one, Ripley is in the nest and she's going to find Newt and that one just leaps between these posts really viciously quick and I'd love to see something like that and the same flies with the Predator you look back at the original the first Predator not even Predator 2 but but on the first Predator and the way it's leaping between the trees and in this film you have like one that's in invisibility and it's just like it looks it looks like a guy in a suit it doesn't look like this reptilian thing that's used to doing like the alien these like almost semi-graceful kind of semi-ballet like things where it's just a ballet of viciousness going through the air and it needs to be cutting like a knife but it it's just moving very stiffly and even that's applied to not just the length of the dreadlocks but the dreadlocks look stiffer than they did in predator one and predator two i i'm not a big fan of predator two but i can't fault whenever the creature is on on the camera the creature moves behaves perfectly and you it really kevin peter all really sold you that movement and ian white does in, in requiem he he's his movements are really great but in this film even getting beyond the the thing that they used a much more like bulky material for the suits they really should have done something with camera angles or speed or something because when these two creatures are, are actually doing anything but standing still that they just don't move like you want them to move, and like they have moved years earlier with much more basic technology. One of the things I thought was handled really well in this was the um, the balance of CGI and practical effects, because really the only time we had ever seen aliens in CG was a very short sequence in Resurrection where it's walking down a corridor, and that was it. Mm. That's um, the one that goes inside the uh, the escape pod as well. That was all done. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's Shots. right. And the water aliens. That, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. My bad. So there were <laughs> a few sequences in Resurrection where we saw CG aliens, but 
but they were usually quick shots and you didn't get a good look at them in CG. And I thought there were a couple scenes in this where when they were crawling up on the queen and when they initially like all hopped onto that platform and yeah. when they were running away after that, that the CG was really well done. You know, I think the problem is when, when you use CG too much, I think Jurassic Park three is a great example of just a perfect balance between really strong CG and practical effects. And I think AVP did yeah. it really well. Requiem, I guess the budget was so much smaller that there was, there was only like one or two shots with CG and they were in predator vision. So they, they kind of dropped that. And I'm hoping, you know, the next time we do see the traditional alien on screen again, that, that we do have a good balance again. Yeah. There were also lot in av the the anderson avp one where a lot of it was actually like set design like especially with the pyramid stuff where they were just adding like cobwebs or little puffs of dust and stuff or just moving things around you you did not realize were not practical set design on or practical part of the set there were some creature parts that i thought yeah yeah a lot of the snow yeah um i think it, even like the those little snow caterpillar things they're actually like they're not cgi but they're models and you don't really i thought they were actually real uh, machines i think also i mean you've got to mention with the cgi a lot of people have problems with like the the movement they they think it should have been done less dinosaur like but i think the queen was the way they handled her movement i think she was beautifully rendered in yeah. cgi and yeah. practical Mm. yeah i was gonna say actually one of my favorite things about the film is all of the effects work with the queen because i yeah. think all of it is incredibly well done i love the the model of her when she first rises up out of where she's been frozen by that was really nice yeah, yeah. And, and sort of the ice slowly thawing off and her waking up i thought all oh, that stuff is brilliant and again at the end yeah. when she's done it in cgi as, as you said earlier it's, it's the first time we've really seen the queen moving about like that yeah since, it would have been nice to see a little more insectoid movement like she did in aliens because you compare the two and there is a definite difference in gait and poise but i mean for what it is she moves nicely you can believe it um whereas you come to the other end of the spectrum in the same film and you see like the chest burster come out that looks it looks fake it looks like a solid yeah. chunky thing and they also do this weird thing where she's got the i forget the character's name but she's the um i think french woman um uh, with the short blonde hair yeah Rousseau. and she's like she's clearly like you know oh, oh i'm convulsing i've got a chest poster and they actually have her chest like do a little bulge and i'm thinking it's meant to be breaking through rib cage you shouldn't do that and you have the face huggers the face huggers look great i actually like the cgi face hugger when they're actually attached to faces it's the same problem in requiem they don't look like they're actually attached they look like somebody attached them with a rubber band and they're just like loosely fitted on the face they need to have that they need to look like they're suctioned on like they did with kane on the original alien and so you have these two diametrically opposed things where you have like the queen she's moving really but you can believe there's weight behind her movements and all the rest of it and yet you come to things like the face huggers when they're actually on a person as opposed to just leaping through from an egg or the chest burst and it looks really fake is it one of the one of the face hugger? Is, is there a real scene that I don't really like the face hugger in? And it's it's in the flashback scene. Just how it seems to settle on her face. That that overpositive. It's way too. Uh, 
no pun intended, but it is way too stiff. It looks like somebody is literally pushing it through a hole See, from the other side. I, I actually kind of like that bit because I thought it was very different than what we had seen before. Like we've seen facehuggers trying to get someone who's running away, but like a human sacrifice type situation, like maybe the facehugger instinctively knew that, oh, this is not going to be, you know, I'm not going to have to work for this. So mm. it, it I like the kind of slow, creepy movement up onto the host because we, we hadn't seen that before. It was always just the facehugger scuttling, trying to to get somebody. But if if the host was a willing host, um, well, by, I think... yeah, but I mean, by the same token, we've seen how like they are with with hosts who are cocooned against the wall, so they they know that the host isn't going to get away there. So I mean, I agree, it's it's interesting. Although I, I didn't like how the legs, the leg, there was something off about the movement of the legs, and it was going off her, and that was actually one of the models for Lara Croft. Is a bit of trivia. Yeah, I mean, you try try and resolve those two things, and biologically, I think, well, they always leap and they run to get a host no matter where they are. So it was it was like artistically, it was interesting, but there was I think they should have had it just the it crawling out of the egg and then just leapt or something. I mean, I, I had no problem with the intent behind. I just think it was the way they they performed the effect. There was just something weird about the way it sort of tried to settle on her face. You know, it was sort of very obviously, mm-hmm. you know, um, the, 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 um, the, what's the terminology for, for how they did the, um, how they did the facehugger models? What, animatronics or? No, they, it, it was it was one of the pulley uh, lever lever pulley things where it, they just sort of lever moved pulley, it. Lever pulley, yeah, that's. Yeah, oh yeah, right. from from behind, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure they were doing that. Pull a toy. Yeah, it it just looked it looked dead weird. It didn't look very natural. It looked mechanical. Yeah, that's what, there I we said, go. That's what yeah. I'm trying to think. That that's what I said about the legs. They they didn't look like they were actually getting traction on her yeah, as they were moving. That, it looked like it was being pushed from behind. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean. So I I had no no problem with the concept. It was just the the technical um, aspect of, of the scene being put together. It didn't quite sell it as a believable this is a creature in the same way as you totally believed it when Ripley was in med lab and you had all the like the water gushing down and you had that thing just whip around her neck and you totally believed she was actually straining to stop this thing latching on her face Mm. one thing I do really really like about the film is grid the whole concept of individualizing the alien yeah how did you guys feel about that did, did you get behind the whole you know injury thing the whole making it stand out kind of thing yeah i thought that was really neatly done actually uh, it was a very simple but you know very intuitive way of of singling this one out over the others i think they should have toned down the yellow a bit more later on to reflect the fact it was healing because it always looked like it was a it were they were fresh wounds and i i think it is it's, it's I know, remember, I think it was the novelization of Alien way back when. They, uh, oh, yeah, well, I mean, even you saw that the face had clearly healed itself. But I think in the novelization, they went a bit further into it. But they, they this was such a perfect organism that it, it could it could heal itself very quickly. So I, I think they should have toned down the yellow blood look on the whenever you saw it. I mean, you also had you also had the thing where I think Grid was the one that lost the spear tip of his tail. So yeah. they could have mm. also done it that way as well. So, but um, yeah, it was an interesting way of reflecting that it was like the you know the alpha alien. But I actually prefer my aliens one size fits all, and the only one kind of who might be in charge of them is either the hive mind or the queen. So 
I would have preferred there not to even have been a lead alien. I can believe it with the Predators because they, they're more, they've got more relatable, sentient intelligence for us. But I think the the aliens should be, there is no alpha alien. They should all be just one single hive. No, I kind of like the idea of Grid personally. I think it was the first time they had ever made just one stand out and it gave the creatures kind of more of an intelligence and social structure, I thought, rather than the whole, oh, they're just bugs idea. Yeah, it was it was it was different. It was something that the films hadn't done before. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated that because it was a way to you know distinguish this character without having the usual scar, the usual missing limb. It was actually a pretty clever you know kind of plotogenic to have this this net wound. What I didn't really understand is how plot convenient is the you know acid proof capacity of the predator's weapons to mm. it changes constantly on depending on the <laughs> the plot's um, needs because the wrist blades melt, the net melts, the um, shurikens, the rolling blades don't melt. A song yeah. doesn't disappear, and you just don't understand what's uh, the logic behind it. Like, like if you can make the the spear and the rolling blades uh, acid proof, why don't you make everything acid proof? It's kind of kind of weird to think about it. Even though the the scene is actually very very cool, like you have this kind of western standoff, and there's there's this very tense scene, and then the predator shoots out the, this net, and then you you don't really know who's mo- going to make it to the end until the very end. That was that's what I like the, about the the fight scene. Yeah, I, I I appreciated that there was that back and forth in that scene. There was no clear winner. It was kind of like all situational. And um, I did especially like how it resolved because you had that faraway shot of the alien and this pile of skulls. Yeah. And it yeah. just, it did that. Kind of, it, it didn't roar like in Alien Resurrection. It was just like, you know, screaming really, after it had done yeah. its thing. I think they could have done away with that because it, it felt a little too human in terms of motivation but i love that visual where it was lit from above and you just had it on yeah. this pile of skulls I yeah you, that total eye candy one of the best and I, I, also, film, I, thought. I also love the fact that although you know i've criticized how the fight was done i like the fact that the predator lost because it was overconfident it just marched oh. out took its time getting oh. that knife out and walked over and you and you got this feeling it was because it was an arrogant son of a bitch, and that's when the alien wins. Yeah, he was kind of savoring his victory there, I think. Like he liked watching the alien squirm. (laughs) That was something else I wanted to bring up, was um, creature balance in the film. It's something I only really recently discovered that I actually quite liked about the film, was that I thought they got it, you know, spot on. You know, Grid takes out Chopper because Grid's being stealthy, you know, he's, he's kept to this crevice and he, he picks the right moment and the Predator's distracted to um, take him out. Like you said, um, Celtic loses because of his, his overconfidence. That's when the alien takes advantage of the moment. And then you've got bits later on in the film where, you know, p- people complain that an alien took out two Predators within the space of what, five, ten minutes? But then you get later on in the film when uh, Scar's got the shoulder cannon and the aliens can't really rely on their close quarters, can't rely on their stealth at that point because the Predator's literally got a mode that highlights, vision mode that highlights it in, a, in yeah. one of the most powerful weapons and it takes out, like, what, two, three aliens from range? Yeah. 
Well, it was like the a- AVP version of a sentry gun scene. Mm. But, uh, see, I thought that's exactly how it should have been done, you know, that the aliens were having to rely on being stealthy. And, and one of them tried it on, one of them tried it on Scar. Not, and, and it didn't work, that time. yeah. Yeah, but, you know, earlier on in the film, you'd seen them use it to its advantage, you'd seen the Predator's downsides affect it negatively, and, you know, you see the Predator's sort of own at long range, which... Which they should do, because, you know, they've got fucking awesome weaponry and technology. And I think the film was really balanced really well in terms of how the creatures were portrayed. I mean, is, is that something you guys felt as well, or did you have any issues with it? No, I, well, I, mean, I agree with that, actually. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, a rock-paper-scissors situational thing, I, I think the in terms of, like, what they did with, like, different plot devices within each fight, one thing has the upper hand, one thing doesn't, when it's from range, the Predator's in, when it's not so much. That was really nice. Um, but, like, some of the scenes, like, as you say, like, it, there was the two scenes of a, an alien, there was one that crawled down, the Predator got it, and it was, like, a nice little crowd-pleasing Clint Eastwood moment from the Predator. But I would have liked to have seen something with a little more, like, horrific callback to the Alien films, like a scene with a predator in it but like like it played out with brett in alien where an alien just is just there and you got this feeling of nightmarish magnificence from the alien as it just unfurled itself and it's like either at the same height of the predator or it's it's towering above oh the predator tries something and it just grabs his wrist and like it's just staring him down like it did with brett and the predator knows it's got nothing left to you know, go. There would have been something nice if you do. There'd have been some moment of where the predator is feeling a moment of horror, as opposed to always the bolt-up action hero just have it. Because otherwise, it is just an action film, and there's you take away that moment of the alien should represent a, a sort of a semi-evil force whereas the predator's more like a force of nature type thing where you get like the the freddy versus jason dynamic it would have been nice to have seen some kind of like more of a nightmarish feel from when an alien confronts them at least one time but in terms of we don't know who's going to get the upper hand i i didn't have that issue with you know oh the aliens won oh no the predators won and it, it wasn't about that the predators went there as a challenge if the predators were going to be constantly taking out aliens, you always have that problem where why do they regard it as a challenge? It needed to have that will they, won't they moment. And I think Requiem fails because there is only one predator. When you have three predators like in this one, and they all look like, you know, one's good like a, a sword length arm blade and all the rest of it. And they're like wearing skulls all over it. And they look like they're going to fuck you up. <laughs> and you, you, you know, they're the ones taken off another one's taken off. Then you have alien. It's when you have that and you, you know that, well, there are several predators here. Any of them could die at any moment. We don't know who, who's going to make it to the end. That's that ideal balance. When you've just got one predator, you know it's going to damn well survive to the end. It's not going to get, get its arm cut off and whatever. It's going to be able to fight back at whatever the climax of the film is. So I think it was a good move having that balance of several predators. Whether it was a good move to have two predators fil- finished off in the one scene... I think there's a case for, you know, arguing against that. But I, I do like how it was handled plot de- plot device-wise in terms of each fight. Yeah, it was really the, the first time we had seen three Predators 
hunting together. And um, I think it's interesting how they brought that up again in the movie Predators. Like uh, Lawrence Fishburne's yeah. character was like, oh, they always come in threes. And yeah. I, I don't think that was an intentional reference, but I think it, it was still interesting. What about you, Omega? Yeah, I thought that having uh, you know this group of Predators was the best choice for the film for two reasons. One, as you know, Eric said, having just one predator just doesn't work because you're, you know that this single predator is going to make it to the end and as the movie works. So having three of them uh, actually uh, really works. One thing I actually really like, I don't know if it's intentional, but having three of them maybe reflects the fact that the predator, predator pointer has three um, hmm. three dots. You know, there seems to be a kind of repetition of the number three if you look at some of the uh, predator designs. So I also, think that they maybe had the um, the triangular tunnels as well. I thought that played. Yeah, the triangular well. tunnels. So there seems to be some sort of you know symbolism associated hmm. to the triangle or the and having three of them so so that they are the vertexes of one single triangle maybe that that's what they were going for i don't know i don't really know but i always read it like that and i really like that and i really like also that they were supposed to work as a team but they kind of got you know, fucked up in the middle because because they got cocky. You know, Scar went on on his own. You don't know where he, he is when the other two are fighting an alien. He's just off on his own. And had they worked together, I think they would have got a better result for them. So, yeah, I think... Now, personally, I would have liked to have more Predators, just as personal taste. Just to have yeah. more fodder, you know. You have something like a dozen aliens by the end of the movie, and only one predator. I think having more predators, more disposable predators, would have made the film, you know, a bit more action-filled because you could have had more alien versus predator fights. If I remember rightly, it was initially five predators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was initially five, then they got down to three because of budget reasons. But, yeah, but it, from it's been a, a good while since I've read the book. But from what I remember, they were very sort of the other two were pretty much just off in the same sort of section as well. I can't remember how it happened, but I remember that being a very sort of. Huh. Fair enough, kind of moment. I don't know if you remember what sort of happened to the other two. They get killed quite late on. Um, they get like I know one of them has a really there's a really nasty bit where they talk about the alien like stripping all the flesh off of his thigh as he goes down. <laughs> like it was it was pretty grim. Um, I, I know it's after uh, the other two have been killed and they're 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 described as as looting some of the bodies, some of the human bodies, and they just get set upon by some aliens. And I know one of them survives because they as they're legging it out of the pyramid. At oh the end, yeah. At the very they end, meet yeah. him, and he's been—he's got a chestburster in him, and uh, and Scar Mercy kills him. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, that would have worked pretty well for the movie, especially the stripping off flesh parts. I think. Yeah, the, the, book, the book in general was a lot more gory than the film. Yeah, that's because they didn't have to worry about rating for the book. Though, did they? Yeah. <laughs> what what deaths were you talking about in the novel? Were they different than they were in the film? There, there's five of them. Oh, you're talking about the the beginning scene that was never shot. In no, the- no, there's, there's there's five predators that go to the pyramid in the book. Oh, it's been too long since I've read the book. The <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't remember that. 
crazy. Well, you have to wonder if they did have more, because I, I know they. this is another thing they talk about in the commentary. They say, you know, Ian White looked the business in the suit, but they said they, they the other two guys, they had real problems with because they were much shorter than him. So whenever you they did a really good job on being very creative with camera angles, because whenever you see all three of them in one, it's actually like one of them is like actually well, two of them are in the foreground much more so than Ian White's predator is. And yet you think they're actually like standing alongside one another. And I think they did a really good job making all three Predators look like they had the same height. So um, they would have had to have done a lot more with that if they'd have been more than that many Predators. Um, but obviously they did have more Predators because they, they would have obviously used the shorter stuntman when they, they, you know, the spaceship comes down, they have the older Predator and all the others in the background. So obviously they must have had extra suits. So I'm not sure budgetary consideration for the suit might have played into that, but I agree at five would have been even more interesting. Yeah. Especially if they'd have gone down with that sort of violence as well. Speaking about violence, I assume all of you have seen the unrated cut of the film. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I have not. I, I don't, I don't think it adds a great deal to it. To be honest. No, it's just CGI blood. I ate that all over the place. Nothing really revealing. There were a couple, a couple of additional scenes that that were just kind of add-ons to to the others, like um, the intro, the whole uh, pyramid excavation scene in Mexico. Um, they added a segment to that, and um, they they showed a bit more of the the three predators in the pyramid as well. Like they they come across the sarcophagus and realize they're guns had been taken that wasn't in the theatrical cut so i appreciated that more the the smaller little add-on scenes than i did the i mean the cg blood that they added looked fine some of it was a little like you know especially when wayland is killed and you see the blood trickle out of his mouth it's like okay was that really necessary but like i think the extra scenes added to the film talking of extra scenes um even on the standard dvd you do have that alternative opening in 1904 where you have the uh, guy who was like clearly he was working in at the whaling station he's been chased through by by a it turns out it's a pyramid and then he turns and then um sorry by a predator and then he turns and then the predators you see it in heat vision and i wish they'd have made the heat vision more authentic to the original predator movies but you see it see an alien and then the alien leaps i think that was removed because they wanted to have the creatures revealed much later on but what do you guys think of that alternative beginning do you think it would have made it more interesting as a film did you like that alternative beginning or do you prefer it without i really like how it's looking at the guy in his predator vision you see him sitting there the guy's carrying you think he's gonna and then it switches vision and then the alien is right there next to him and you never yeah. saw it that i thought that was really effective but as for whether it dramatically improves the film or not i'm not really sure I, it's a it's a neat opening neat little additional bit to see but i don't think it well, because it wouldn't have, you know, it, it wouldn't have changed the film. But would you have preferred it? I mean, thinking back to when you first saw it, would you have liked that opening, or do you think it, you know, just pace-wise, it works better without it? I think that you know the Welling Station works much like the Norwegian camp in the mm, uh, yeah. the things. So that that opening kind of kills the whole uh, setup and the the whole vibe. So I don't. I really prefer the movie without it, even though it's not a particularly bad scene per se. But I think the movie works far better without it. 
Um, just to talk about the, the the unrated the deleted scenes as a whole. You know, it's there's some they're only little bits. They're only little scenes. And yeah. Some of them, some of them do add some nice little moments, like the um, the scar playing with the, yeah. the brain. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Humor. I like that. One. <laughs> I don't think they had add a great deal to the film overall. Um, but specifically talking about that opening scene, it just seems like it seems so throwaway because you know, it's probably what 50, 50 seconds long that scene. Yeah, something like that. I think I'd have been more interested in in the the ancient um, the ancient um, South American um, bit that was scripted and was in the book, you know, with the ah uh, yeah, it's uh, Cambodia, I think it is. Yeah, the, the full hunt out in the jungle, um, rather than just a fifty second little thing, because it's not it's not it's not longer than that in in the script either. No, it's very sort of. What happens in that for those who are listening and aren't familiar with? Um, who do you have better memory for the book? Uh, it, well, it, it's it's it just it starts with a scene with three ancient tribal hunters going out, going through the forest, um, just out on a hunt, and they they stray near a pyramid, and they they talk about how this pyramid is banned in their folklore. You know, they're banished; they're not to go near it. So it's sort of set up as obviously there have been aliens and predators there, and in in the folk stories, it's been passed down. You don't go there, and they just get ambushed by some aliens in the forest. It's not really explained where the aliens have come from. Obviously, the predators are down there doing their thing, and there and there, two of them get taken out, and one of them runs away and he, he runs straight into a predator and it's sort of the scene ends with the predator getting his wrist blades out and getting ready to take on the alien that's menacing this guy and then it cuts to the uh, the whaling station scene as as seen in the extended cut of the film hmm. i think that would have been a bit too much with both i yeah. think one or the other would have yeah one on worked. top of the yeah, other in the yeah. book it's a bit much having the one after the other but yeah that's probably why they removed it in the first place and you know the whaling station thing would have been cheaper Hearing about that, I kind of, I, I kind of would have a, quite liked that thing about you know the, the, this pyramid is forbidden, don't go there. That would have given mm, them an a little myth, yeah, yeah, a cultural thing because then you could have seen for those who've seen the Predator films, you could have then seen you know how they would have had this mystique of the demons who make trophies and it kind of plays into that a little bit. So I think I would. Be, I would have been interested in that instead of the whaling station one. That has a little more like cultural significance to it. They they kind of reference it later with Sebastian's line, like only the chosen ones may enter here. So yeah. Hmm. So we've we've sort of glazed on it though, but the uh, the rating. Shall we touch on that? PG thirteen alien and predator film. How much did it piss you off? It should have been R. <laughs> it's not even like I said earlier. It's not even the blood and guts. It's just the tone of the film i think well i think you can have a mature it could have been much more mature in tone regardless of the rating i think that the rating was primarily because of the blood and gore and all the rest of it i i think it could have been a better film regardless of the rating going back to what i was saying earlier about me defending the film in, in the build-up and how it didn't really bother me because of the whole it's going to be creature gore thing yeah I don't, yeah, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have minded it more if there was, you know, it's completely superficial. But yes, I would have liked to have seen more blood and guts from, you know, the predator. When, when it, when it head bites the predator, you know, it's just a little spattering of green matter. And during the fights, you know, you're not seeing, you're not seeing a lot of blood. You're not seeing a lot of wounds. It would have been nice to see more of that fluorescent blood on You there. could have, yeah, but that wasn't the right, I mean, they were saying the, the reason they, they were able to do that because because that doesn't affect the rating. Yeah, but, but so they, they could have had more predator blood. Yeah. And, yeah, 
that that wouldn't have affected the rating. So so that didn't bother me as much, but I still feel like they didn't make enough of it. But then you have yeah. scenes like the chest bursting, where it's blink and you'll miss it kind of thing. Yeah. And again, but then know, it would have looked. I mean, we know what it would have been. You see, it, it looks very fake as a chest burster. So whether that well, they didn't need to build anything better. better though, did they? I mean, if if they'd have been able to have done a more um, drawn out and articulated scene. Yeah, I I think they could, like, if you look in Aliens, that dream sequence right at the beginning where Ripley, you know, she's dreaming she's having a chest burster and there's no gore whatsoever because she wakes up from it. That was actually, that's, there's a case to be made where you can argue that was more unsettling, just the way it's done, the music, the cat hissing. It's actually more unsettling than Kane's chestburster, which is arguably way more bloody in the first film. So you can definitely make a chestburster scene way more effective. I, I totally agree with it in terms of tone. Um, in terms of whether blood and gore would have made much difference with the actual eruption, I don't know. Although, again, there are ways around that. You could do that in, like, in terms of, like, because it was in such a darkened area, you could have done it with, um, like, silhouettes of the blood erupting, this thing coming through her chest. You could have seen that in the shadow, something like that. Um, you could, there are all ways of artistic ways of creating horror without necessarily playing with yeah, the rating. Yeah. Otherwise, you then get a gore sort of feature yeah. as well. But I, 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 I totally agree. Her, that chestburster sequence, regardless of the actual chestburster, it, you know, you don't think she's just like clutching her chest and it's like she's going through a brief heart attack, it almost feels. It, it doesn't, you don't gr- get the gravity of how awful that should be for someone. Mm. It, it doesn't seem as, as impactful as the other ones did. No. I mean, you could have it, like, you could have he- heard her going through it and you could have heard this, I, I don't know if they did it with Kane, but you could have heard like this loud crack of a rib or something like and that. That just psychologically gets to someone because it's one of those sounds you go, ooh. Yeah. I think it's just it's just because it's so it's so quick. I mean, you don't get this mm. sense of agony that they're going no. through. And... No, it should have been a bit more prolonged, definitely. Yeah. Again, again, though, that's that's probably something that the rating interfered with. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But the, the, this is it. Would it have it? Because this is just someone like basically clutching this chest, going through pain but you're not actually seeing any of the the things which would trigger the sensors to go, oh, no, too much, because it's basically an actor going through like an emotionally traumatic performance, actually seeing any blood. You're not actually seeing anything that would have been one of those tripwire moments where a sensor would have gone, oh, that pushes it from a 15 or 18 down to PG-12 or the opposite way around. Well, that, that's the point, though, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I think you'd be surprised... I think there have been cases where, you know, scenes like that have had to be trimmed because leaving them longer, the censors just say, oh, no, that's too much. You're dwelling on it too much. You have to. I I know there's Mm. definitely been cases in other movies where they have had to do things like that. That's interesting. The funny thing I always found about that was AVP was a 15 in the UK. And Ridgetop mentioned earlier that Alien had been re-released like the year before and the director's cut. And that was when it came over here, that was also a 15. And yeah. that wasn't trimmed at all, so... Censors have got a lot more lenient in the UK on, on blood and gore. Mm. I mean, you only got to look at, at Requiem. Requiem was just horrendously violent in places, and that was only a 15 as well. Was it? Yeah. 
Oh, surprised me actually. Nah, it's only yeah, the, yeah, the, the BBFC are really not as tight on on blood and guts as they used to be. Yeah. Which and is ironic because it was here. only called R because they were making such a big deal out of the rating, and then they had to yeah, yeah they yeah. had to think mm. up well what can R stand for, and then somebody on one of the production team just literally went oh I don't know Requiem, and that's why it got <laughs> that title. They they didn't put any thought behind it whatsoever. It was literally an afterthought that they made it called Requiem. <laughs> We didn't really talk about um, the point that Omega raised earlier about the inconsistency of the Predator Metal's resistance to acid. Personally, I kind of chalk that up to, I mean, this is just my own explanation for it, but that the Predators were just discovering these acid-resistant metals and they were still very rare, which is why they were only used for things like ceremonial daggers and the ceremonial Mm. staff. Because those are really the only things that we saw that were acid-proof. Uh, were, was the daggers and the staff. So, but then the the wrist blades weren't either. The that that was a weird because I, I noticed. Yeah, he was using the dagger when he was he, he was like before Lex, and he was literally doing like a dissection of the thing. And yet, the in the grid fight, you had the you had a little. It was an interesting idea. Like the wrist blades literally reversed, and he uh, he moved them to cut off the tail. But then he looked at them, and the wrist blades were clearly just melting away like nothing. And you would have thought out of everything he's got, the wrist blades, the, the last wrist blade, yeah, weapon because that would be is, the one you'd yeah. make resistant to the acid. Yeah, rather than any, anything else, yeah. The thing that bothered me most was the fact that the stuff that they were restraining the Queen with. <laughs> yes, yeah, I noticed yeah. that, yeah. Every time I watch it, I go, what? <laughs> but, but then the thing is, they've got stuff that's literally piercing the Queen's yes, yes. Um, head, uh, her, her yeah. crown, that obviously must be some form of... Yeah. Well, unless there's awesome some sort of coagulant thing that they can spray on yeah. the queen. Yeah, yeah. You watch it with the director commentary and Lance Henriksen, who's literally going, this is pagan as fuck, man. <laughs> but you can't <laughs> help but go along with him. And um, man, Lance, Lance Henriksen in this film, I don't think he knows how to do a bad performance. He's been in some you know, awful B-movies, but I mean, this is one of those films where Lance Henriksen, it wasn't just his name being in there, but he really added something to that character performance. Something I forgot to ask earlier was, um, what did people sort of think of his motivation? Don't don't you think it's a very sort of selfish motivation? I mean, there's there's a deleted scene where he's sort of admiring one of the shoulder cannons. Um, Scar's taken a couple of guys out, and he's sort of admiring it, and Max turns around and is like, one of our guys just died. Mm. You know, obviously that was cut for the theatrical court, and I think that was a good thing. I mean, as much as it was a nice little scene for, for Max and Colin Salmon, it really sort of cast a bad light over Wayland. Yeah, that well, doesn't sound not... like that would have mixed well. This kind of goes back to the similarities with Prometheus thing. I mean, you have two old dying Waylands and when <laughs> contrasted with Prometheus, his motivations didn't seem nearly as selfish as the Prometheus take where he was like, well, we're both gods, so I should deserve to live forever. Yeah. Like, mm. um, I think Charles Bishop Wayland's motivation was like, Hey, I want to be remembered for something. And yeah. you know, this, this piece of technology is something I've never seen before. It could really help my, my company. Uh, so I don't think his motivations were entirely selfish. Maybe he was a little, you know, cynical because he was dying, but he, it wasn't like egomaniacal mm. or anything. Well, this is where that scene where it's him and Lex, and he he tells her, you know, what do you think your father remembered most yeah. in those final moments, being in pain or having drinking champagne with his daughter 
so many thousand feet up in the air. That really brought home to me when I I mean, I I don't I don't think I've seen that deleted scene you described. But with me, when I watch the film, I get the sense is the fact that he's been everywhere, done everything with a guy with that amount of money can do. And it's like if you're an explorer in today's world, what final frontiers are there to go and make your mark on history? Because it's that's the feeling I got from um, Henriksen's Wayland. He wants to have a legacy. He wants to do something yeah. where it's not just his company's making stuff on his behalf. Like he's, he's there's another scene earlier on where he says, "When I die, my company's going to the shares in my companies are going to take you know a half a percentage dips, and that's it." You can tell he's wanting to do something that's worthwhile instead of just, you know, doing something, making his company bigger on the stock market. He wants to discover something or be the first. That that whole thing plays into why, you know, Lex tells him, you know, don't go in there, wait until morning. And he doesn't want to because he wants to be the first to like, you know, breathe that air in a chamber that has been sealed for thousands of years. He wants to you get that feeling with him like his motivations are genuine like in a way he's almost you could say he's almost putting her to shame because she wants to be protocol and by the book but he wants to do it for the sense of adventure and i for me i get that with lance henriksen's performance really well whereas with as rich top says with in prometheus it just doesn't come he's literally just said we're both gods we should do this i should get this just because i am who i am you don't get you you get not so much a sense of humility with Lance Henriksen's one, but you get the fact that he's he's pragmatic, but he wants he hasn't lost that sense of adventure. But there's so few areas in life where he can do that, where he can have an impact. And this is something where he can have an impact. So because there's the, he's, this location is in danger of being someone else who's going to not necessarily get that glory, but be the first to do it. He doesn't care so much about the glory, but he wants to be the guy who, you know, climbs climbs Mount Everest because it is there. You you totally you totally buy that when Lance Henriksen's performance, I think. Yeah, I think I really liked the idea of Charles Bishop Wayland. A lot of people thought it was, you know, there was too much conflict between his Alien Three portrayal and this one um but i i think it worked and that was one of the things that saddened me the most about prometheus was i mean obviously they weren't gonna do anything in line with avp but it was the biggest um break in continuity was was their wayland um and i think it was much more interesting for someone like charles bishop wayland you had this megalithic evil corporation eventually but it started out with this guy who was an industrialist and he was just a pretty likable guy you know with everyone who was around him, not many people had a problem with him in the movie. So I, th- I think it was much more interesting than this egomaniacal, you know, genius that uh, the the Prometheus Wayland was portrayed as. Well, I think it built on that. If you go back to Jurassic Park, that John Hammond, he's like he's he's gradually overtaken by like the board of directors, so to speak. But he himself. He, you know, John Hammond in Jurassic Park, he started out with like a little flea market type thing and he was just doing this little flea circus down the market and it was just hit that thrill of the, the sense of the thrill. And he, he had good intentions and, uh, yeah, you do get that as he described the Lance Henriksen Wayland, you get that feeling like, you know, that whole foreshadowing, you know, the, the, 
the road to evil sort of thing is paved with good intentions. This Wayland has got relatively good intentions, but it's later on his legacy is going to be spoiled and you know smudged as things go on after he's passed away. That's actually an interesting way of thinking about it. Well, it's nice. As I said earlier, it's nice to see uh, you know, a millionaire who isn't just a one-dimensional character. Ha-ha, I'm evil because I'm rich. And you do <laughs> get that. I mean, I liked what Guy Pierce did with the material he was given, but the material he was given ultimately made his Wayland very one-dimensional, whereas in AVP, even though it's a very one-dimensional film in many respects, the character of Wayland, and maybe this is a, in big part down to Lance Henriksen doing it, but I don't know, but but you get the feeling his character is more multi-layered, and it would have been interesting to see his his motivations, how he came to be the person he is, maybe explored in like a one-shot prequel comic or something that didn't have anything to do with aliens or predators but like who how he became the man he ultimately came to be because he was a very believable guy yeah i've kind of tried to in my own mind i've tried to mend the continuity like oh uh, he was his spoiled nephew or something who inherited the company (laughs) (laughs) i think it was interesting in the avp 2010 game how they in the audio logs, they went into Charles Bishop Whalen and the events of this film a little bit, and they were saying something like he was secretly recording his memories or something like that. So I think Lance Henriksen's character in that game is is almost as if you see the corrupted version yeah. of that Wayland if he had kept on living. Yeah, it does. Yeah, when you say it does, yeah, there is like a corrupted version of that. Whereas in Requiem, they had the chance to deal like the very end of it. They bring in Miss Utani. It's a very, <laughs> almost, almost a parody of this very, like, it's, it's a mockery of that kind of like, they try to be at least multi-layered with this Wayland and Miss Utani is, yes, that the world isn't ready to deal with this technology and they slam the briefcase. They're going to develop it in secret. <laughs> you, you don't get the sense. Yeah, this Wayland might have sent you off to his R&D labs or something, but you know, he, he was trying to get the the right people on the team to do this thing because he just wanted to you know he didn't he didn't shit on people just because he should he could mm. he he was just he was trying to put together a team because he wanted to do what needed to be done because he saw it as bigger than himself he saw it as a legacy I mean, I'm being poetic here about like Anderson's <laughs> AVP, man. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's, it's there. I mean, and as you say, a lot of it is because of Henriksen's performance, which is a testament to his acting skill. But I, I just like how they handled him, even like the material they gave him. Whereas Guy Pierce, he just didn't have that kind of multifaceted character to work with. It was just, I'm rich, bitches, eat my shit. And it just doesn't, it just doesn't feel I can't believe in that kind of a character. There are those people out there, but you know, it's, it doesn't feel as like a, a, a human being. It's just like, okay, you, I, I prefer this guy from a Paul Anderson AVP film. I think I think probably a lot of us would rather have Lance's Wayland. Uh, so, is there anything anything we haven't covered that you guys want to talk about? The team up. Oh yes, that's, of that's course. How, right? how can we forget <laughs> the team up? It was inevitable. It was definitely inevitable. Machiko! I, I, I don't like how it's handled. <laughs> I, I like the idea yeah. much more than the execution. I mean, it, it's pretty much a staple of AVP, isn't it? This whole team-up concept. But I don't think that Lex earns it in, in this film. 
And I think mm-hmm. it's very much a... I mean, it, it doesn't even feel like a scar needs her. She's literally no. just cowering in a corner. It happens to pick up a weapon that scars drop. <laughs> she doesn't even fight. She's just like, oh, no, don't hit me. And it's just like, the alien killed itself. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. didn't do it. So there was no skill. Pretty much, I think, throughout the rest of it, apart from the one sequence when she's, you know, has to put Sebastian down, she does mm. very little. Oh, of course, there's the bit with the Queen as well. But, I mean, up until that point... She shoots that alien in the head with the rivet. Oh, you know, oh, that's another thing you need to remind me about later. Fucking homages. <laughs> oh, they cut off the <laughs> motherfucker, yeah. didn't they? That that was a it's part where the rating did yeah. interfere. Yeah. That <laughs> was a part you did in, in, in terms, of, In terms of the team-up, like... Just doesn't deserve it. It doesn't feel natural in this film. No. It just feels like it. Okay, no. fans are going to expect it. What's the best way we can do it? I mean, it, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about her character. She's just there's not much about her. There's no charisma. There's there's nothing no. that makes me like Lex and want to see her make it out there with Scar. I'd have just happily seen Scar just carry on the film on his Billy Todd. Yeah, I mean, she's. I mean, it's an interesting performance for what it is. Again, it's one of those things where Sonar Lathan. I think she does well with the material she's given she's not given much to work with in terms of personality but you go back to the avp comic and you have it's not just like broken tusk wakes up and his budget you know, there there are these scenes where he's he's seeing what she's doing like she's doing things in spite of broken tusks there the broken tusk he's seeing her she's got skills whereas here lex just she's not it's as you say, she's she's not earning the predator's respect. And she doesn't need to like save the predator to do that, but she needs to be seen as capable or she needs to have something that the predator needs to get something done. I think that would have been a, a better way of going about it. Personally, I thought it was handled pretty well. I think it was shown that the fact that she killed an alien and alerted Scar to it, he wasn't going to kill her. He was going to spare her because of that. But he he didn't have any you know want or need to, to team up, so he just started walking away. And when she insisted, he maybe he was amused, like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll give her a spear and see how long she lasts kind of thing. And then through that course of time, he becomes impressed with, with the fact that she holds her own and she's able to escape with him. So I think that... I think it was done all right, and it was a nice nod to the comics. So I personally didn't have a problem with with how it was done. You, Omega. I think the team up is fundamentally the turning point of the film, where you realize you're not watching an alien film or a predator film, but you're watching, you know, a comic book adaptation. Because mm. the uh, the team up for me represents a very radical shift in tone for the film because you know the, the film assumes a completely different vibe from then yeah. on if you notice it and i think it could have handled been handled better because you know the slow motion scenes were a bit too much to handle especially <laughs> when you acquired the taste in your you know, it's one thing to watch this movie when you are, you know, nine or ten and say, oh, God, all, everything's awesome. And then it's <laughs> another thing to um, to watch it as an adult and, you know, with, with acquired tasters and acquired knowledge. And, you know, the slow motion running scenes were just a bit, a little bit too yeah. much, a little bit too cringe-worthy. And, but... I don't think it ruins the movie, just it changes it into something that it was better off without. 
And, you know, there's just that. Even though I really like the final fight with the, with the alien queen and, and the final moment where the, where the predator dies and she's there by his side. I, I really, really like that. Or the, the fact he marks her. And yeah, those scenes were, you know, kind of nice, but I think the movie would have been better without the team up. It would have maintained a more, you know, organic and solid tone without it. That reminds me of um, one of the recent interviews that was done with Peter Briggs when he talks about this film and he said it, that part where Scar marks Lex, he says, would you really let someone come towards you with something that's clearly going to burn through flesh? And there, <laughs> there's no reason for her to want that mark. It's like, the Predator's offering it to her, but it's not like mandatory, and she's just like, yeah, burn my flesh. I think something <laughs> more needed to be done with it. And also, there is that notorious part where he takes off the helmet, roars at her, but there's that moment where they do, and even Sonar Lathan mentions this, she says a friend of her says, told her, it looks like they're about to kiss. And it kind of <laughs> does, because there's that romantic soft lighting on them. And um, this is, they needed to keep, they needed something there to be, to remind her this is a thing which slaughters humans for fun, you know. Which she kind of, it's there when she sees the, uh, the elder predator, because she does see that human skull on it, and you do get that moment that she's, she's reminded these things do kill humans. Um, I agree, it's, it's like within the context of the story, what you see, I think the actors, Ian White and Snarlathan, they actually play it well with what they're told to do in the script. You get that, you know, you, you do, as you say, you kind of get that thing where it turns away. It's not going to bother to bring her on board as a team member, you know. Um, and then, like, she's like, hey, look, I need stuff. But I do think there needed to be a thing where the Predator, you know, she had something or or could do so. It recognised it. You would need her to do something. That's why it decided... I'm not just going to lead you to your fate, but I'm going to let you tag along with me because I think a predator would know, look, this is a human. It can't cloak it or, you know, it's going to scream. It's going to attract potential danger towards me. I don't want this thing around me. So I do think the actors perform that well, like even down to like the little um, like hand signals where it explained, look, I, it's trying to convey what it's like wrist mounted self-destruct button's gonna do and it did that little explosion thing with his hand that thing little things like that are nice so the performances i've got no problem with but i do think there needed to be some added motivation there and they needed to completely do away with that soft romantic light the thing i hate most about the team up and i can remember when i was watching the film in the cinema and i was already not having a particularly great time by this point but the moment at which <laughs> i just i just hung my head and was like no is the moment where she straps a fucking alien head to her arm as a shield like that's yeah. somehow gonna get like that really like she's got the, the spear with the tip of the tail on it and then just the head tied to her like that's somehow gonna protect her and just, i thought uh, her arm was gonna dissolve because the whole thing would have acid inside there's a bit later when she's fighting the queen and she's just standing under it and she's got the head held up and she's just kind of poking it with her spear and it's, <laughs> yeah. just, it's just like i that was the moment at which the film lost me. And even now I struggle to sit through that bit because I think like, that's not going to save you at all. The alien's just going to rip you to pieces in two seconds flat. She yeah. needed a snow caterpillar version of a power loader. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little alien head, a little spear is not going to... Yeah. Even if she just bit. jumped in one of them caterpillars and driven it yeah. into the queen, that would have been fairly <laughs> effective. 
<laughs> yeah. It's just like a toothpick against. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I did think her clothing should have burnt or something. She, she lost it, a jacket. <laughs> Yeah, but... Don't you think that... I mean, it looks daft on the film, but don't you think it's a cool idea using the um, the alien exoskeletons as an armour? Yeah, yeah, just not mm-hmm. tying random body yeah. parts to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I do like that little, yeah. the little bit where he squeezes the, the blood of the alien finger onto the, the head and it doesn't mm. affect it, and then onto the the stone ground and it it melts it yeah see see that was really neat i just i just i really can't get past the idea that she's literally just sellotaping bits of alien to herself (laughs) like that's somehow gonna help her i thought whenever i watch that thing that scene it's just a personal thing but i always think it should have been the other way around you should have shown it burning the floor and then it's not gonna burn the head it's it's always seems weirdly off when you do it the other way around because I, I think she as soon as it shows it just splattering on the alien head and doing nothing, she's going to go, yeah, so, so what? So. <laughs> About the final fight, um, there was this deleted scene with Grid Alien on, on the surface. Uh, I remember there was some footage of Grid uh, Alien just, um, just about to the surface and then being killed off by the explosion. I don't remember if there was actually going to be a fight between Scar and Gridalian as a sort mm. of, you know, mini boss before the Queen fight, or if that was all. Well, I think you see it in the trailers. You see Grid yeah, on the surface. Mm. There's a there's a shot of him at the tunnel mouth. I'm just on the deleted scene. Yeah, page. I was I was gonna say that part where they're about to go on that little like sledge thing, and she looks up at the in the tunnel, and there's an alien clearly like scrabbling down from the surface. And it's heading I always back assumed down was, towards them. I always then there's that was another the one way out. Yeah, no, I thought no, that, that was the queen like, ahead of them. I don't think so. I mean, she's not big enough for that. But you, then there's like another alien that jumps on um, Scar's back. <laughs> but it, it definitely looks like a normal size alien. I think it's also a little homage to that thing in the air ducts in Aliens where you see them. Like in silhouettes scrabbling through the air dust, but it definitely looks like a normal size alien. I always thought that was the queen, sort of right up the top on her way out, which explains why she's then up there later on. Yeah, but she crashes through the ground after they've been on the. Yeah, I I figured she just. And they don't pass when everything. I figured. I just figured she's already up there, and she just gets buried by debris. Well, you do see before that the when she she's crashing through the tunnels, her children going ahead of her, which implies that they would have reached. Lex and Scar before she got there as well. But whatever it is, I mean, it's scrabbling on the way back down to them. It's not keeping on out. So they should have passed it. Yeah, but they should have passed it. Whatever it, whether it's one of the children or her, they should have passed it as they rocketed out of the thing. Just to sort of read from the um, deleted scenes page. This this is from the deleted scenes page two of David Hatch and the website. In the script, the final explosion doesn't actually happen until after Lex and Scar has reached the surface. The grid alien reached the top of the tunnel, but was killed when the Predator self-destruct device initiated. And there's a there's a shot of it in, from the trailer on the surface with, yeah. the, with the bodies hanging behind it. And the script itself says, Far below, but with surprising speed, the alien queen is ascending the tunnel. Razor sharp claws cutting into the ice, giving her purchase. Clambering over her, even riding on top of her, are her children. Leading the hungry pack of ravenous aliens is Grid. Scar helps the groggy Lex to her feet. He pushes her on, running through the whirling station. Behind them, Grid appears at the mouth of the tunnel. 
close on grid. He is the first of the aliens to reach the surface who howls for Scar's blood. This has become a personal grudge match between the two of them. He is about to leap forward when suddenly the screen lights out as the Predator bomb finally explodes. The blast wave from the Predator bomb hurtles up the tunnel. The snow around Scar's feet vibrates with the force of the coming explosion. He returns back to look down the tunnel. Fireball. The grown fireball is reflected in the shiny opaque dome of his head. It has only a moment to try and turn away before the fireball hits him with full force and he is blown to pieces. From memory, that's how it happens in the novel as well. He makes it to the surface, but then pretty much immediately gets blown up. Mm. And I think that's supposed to be where um, Scar gets the finger from that he, he marks Lex with. Is yeah. Ah. Yes, yeah, uh, it's one of Grids. So there you go. He definitely missed some kind of... But there should have been one last confrontation with Grid. Yeah. Like, he's there, and the whole point of doing that, even after the personally preferred it not but even the, the whole point thematically is that he's like leading the rest of the pack he's like second in command and all he actually has at the end is like the alien that gets its head blows off the corpse falls towards them and there's like all the like five different aliens i think grid's one of them maybe mm, and they like they look like they're posing for like a football team photo <laughs> they're, all, they're all like smiling and going hey and they're, they're all that's missing is like a thumbs up oh that's it it just goes from them that's the last you really see of her children after that it's just going up against the queen and there's no real thematic resolution with grid well the grid's never really shown i mean he only has one sort of scene against opposite yeah. star doesn't he and that's when they're in the tunnel which is when they react to the queen's commands rather than anything yeah. grid does i don't think there was much of a conflict between those two particular no but it's yeah i keep you saying this is the alien that's killing the predators this is the predator that's killed most of the aliens at some point you have that expectation that that they're going to meet up. Something's going to happen between them. I did really like the bit where right after the queen bursts from the rubble, you see her look down and there's like a big chunk of an alien warrior there. And she looks at it and then she looks back at Scar and Lex. And I thought that was a nice little like, I oh, I'm going to... I didn't notice that. Yeah, I don't yeah. know about the scene. No, I'm going to look at that now. <laughs> yeah. At least that's how I actually a great part I, I never mean... noticed. I do, I do remember in the commentary the ADI guys were mentioning in the historical flashback where there's self-destruct happens on the pyramids they went to the trouble of having little tiny aliens they said if you look really closely you can see individual aliens actually exploding and vaporizing and i've never noticed that myself but that is apparently what they went to the trouble of doing i, I really enjoyed that sequence i know i know a lot of people don't because of how old life it makes aliens look but i actually really like it and I always sort of think back to one of the trailers on the DVDs, you know, when they're showing off, like, all the Fox films. I think it's for the Blu-rays. And there's a there's a scene from the Simpsons movie where it says, and, and here comes the money shot, and it cuts to that sequence from ABP, the explosion that always mm. makes me fire. Well, it looks beautiful. That's probably the best scene in the whole movie that like as a little you do get the music also the musical track that plays over that that's the best track out of the entire um uh musical soundtrack of avp it's it's choreographed really well i, I do wish they they get rid of the little slappy hands thing in it but aside from that it is the that whole historical thing right from the face hugger onto that top of that pyramid it's done really well you know what we haven't talked about is the score the soundtrack. Yeah. Harold Kloiser. Yeah, who had just done The Day After Tomorrow. The Day After Tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. 
Mm. I yeah. I actually quite like the soundtrack. I don't think it's I think it's serviceable. Um, I don't think it's mm. you know it's anywhere near as memorable as like Elliot yeah. Goldenfall or James Horner's or anything like that. But there's there's a couple of tracks in there that I always I always quite liked. I like down the tunnel um, when they you know when they're descending and the I can't remember the name of the track, but it's the one when um, Celtic shows up and is fighting Quinn on the top of the surface and you get like the um, you know those um, choir voices when um, he runs into the bodies hanging upside down. I always enjoyed those two tracks in particular. Mm-hmm. What about you guys? I think well, History of the World was the flashback one. Yeah, History of the World. It was interesting because it was the exact opposite of what uh, Brian Tyler did for AVPR. There were no, mm, no recognizable motifs from the film for this one. It was all completely its own score. So there was nothing that harkened back to Predator and Alien. Whereas AVPR's score, it was a really well done score, but it was nothing but tributes to all of the other scores. Yeah. But it, it combined them really well. And I, I thought it was great. I think it, I still consider it one of the best scores in, in the whole franchise was Brian Tyler's for AVPR. But Harold Kloiser's, I think they're just, for me, there wasn't enough of anything recognizable from Alien or Predator. I mean, I didn't need a repeat of the same theme, but just something, you know, some kind of sound that I could recognize from Alien or Predator. But it, it, it was well done, but it just felt like a typical action movie orchestral score. There was nothing yeah. really memorable about it. There were the, the ones that were were kind of like the slow, methodical scenes. Uh, so especially in the pyramid, I thought, you know, when they were exploring the really like kind of slow, ambient background tribal kind of music, that was well done. But overall, I, I don't think it really did the job for me completely. I would add to that, I don't think it might have actually been a part that was like removed and taken on its own from History of the World. I, I don't know if there was another track, but that piece where the Queen was lifted out of the um, the liquid nitrogen, that was very like choral, very like Temple of Doomish. The music yeah. worked really well in that. Yeah, that scene was actually, I think, my favourite in the entire movie, just the way it's composed, the way it's... Um, the colors of it and the scope of it, that's actually my favorite scene in the entire film. So I've only really got one last thing I actually want to talk about. and Homages. I fucking hate reused dialogue <laughs> from old films, especially when they're like they are in this, because don't get me wrong, there's, there's subtle sort of kind of things I like, like in, in Predators when um, Nikolai does... Uh, does the lines in Russian, but things I hate are when they stop the action, stop the flow of the scene to sprout some dialogue. Look to the audience from the yeah, like it happens several times. Yeah, Verhaden in the uh, in the tunnels, you know, you you want some, you will be son of a bitch, and it just stop what's happening for him to get that out. And the scene yeah. later on with Lex um, in the pit and gun when she takes him a time to. You know, go, oh, one, mm-hmm. oh, the mother. It, it bothers me. It really pulls me out of the films. And, you know, I, I don't mind, yeah. I don't sort of mind the visual kind of um, references like the little dippy bird thing. Yeah, and the, the shot of Lex coming over the bridge, where it's just like mm. a callback to Ripley and the, yeah. um, the, the flare light looking like um, the, the laser scanner thing at the start of Aliens. I don't mind that because it sort of flows with it. But when you have to take the time to stop sort of what's happening in the scene to sprout some bullshit dialogue from another film. It just, it feels so forced and I hate it. I really hate it. And it's a problem I have with, with AVPR as well. 
Well, it's like a Terminator film where one character always has to say, say I'll, I'll be back or, you know, they'll be back or something like Come that. And it's got to the point where, it. yeah, it's not just Terminator films. Isn't it got to the point where every single time Arnold Schwarzenegger is in a film, he has to say one <laughs> of those lines. Does it bother you guys as much as it pisses me off? Yeah. No, 90% of the time, yeah. I mean, there are very rare occasions where I think it actually works. Like, ironically, you were saying Terminator. I actually think some of the times they recycle the dialogue in the second Terminator film is actually yeah, quite effective. Yeah, the second one. Because second, they, they always put a spin on, on it. Yeah, yeah, whereas, but a lot of, in you know, in this, in Requiem and in Predators, you know, it was, a lot of it was just saying the lines because they felt they had to get them in there somewhere rather than because they had a use for them. Well, it's like the director in... is turning to the camera and going, wink, then we'll mm. carry on with the scene. <laughs> I think in Predators it, it worked all right. Again, I think it's good as long as it's not overdone. If it's just one thing here and there with its own unique twist on it, then it's fine. But if it's just thrown in for, like you said, the director winking at the audience, essentially, then it feels too much and it's too immersion-breaking. I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one. This is Mm-hmm. Um, Omega, do you want to do as a uh, alien bit then? Uh, what I found most hilarious actually is that when you see AVP1 and AVP2, uh, yeah. the alien prop is actually the same. You know, the chest buster is actually the same uh, prop. And then, and somehow in AVP it looks gorgeous. It looks absolutely fantastic. It's and then you thing. see AVP2 and then Bam! It looks like some sort of, you know, Sesame Street, uh, the horror edition. And, mm-hmm. and it's amazing how, you know, it, it really sets the difference between, uh, the two movies for me because the first movie is, it may be, you know, some sort of just serviceable movie, but it's a professional movie. It's a professionally made. And then you have the second one, which is just, you know, some sort of fun film, uh, with an overblown budget. I think that really is, you know, symbolical of how different the two movies are. And regarding the, um, uh, the Predator itself, I really like the design actually. The, the chestbuster design. It was designed by Patrick Tatopoulos. And I really like the effect. If you, if you look at the scene, um, it has pulsating sides like the original chestbuster. And, and I also really like, you know, of how it caps off the movie, like, to say who won, you know, just having this ambiguity of who won and then the movie cuts out. I, f- I really think that really was a great way to end the movie. You were saying Patrick Totopoulos designed it? I thought ADI did all the creature effects work in the film. ADI did the, you know, the actual puppet, but I think the, um, the design itself was uh, Patrick Totopoulos. Hmm. The design, the concept art. Yeah, he did a bunch of pieces for Anderson's pitch, mm. along with Rick Bowen, I think it was. I can't remember. Um, yeah. Was it Rick Bowen? Mm? Was it Rick Bowen who did the other ones? I don't know. I'm actually not sure. I'd have to go back and look at the Tatopoulos, among his uh, illustrations for Anderson's pitch, you can see his Predalian Chessbuster illustration. That's pretty much what ended up in the movie. I like the actual Predalian ch- I'm still not a fan of the adult design that came up with for the second film. I did like the actual design of the Predalian Chessbuster. It still mm. kind of looks fake. I think it could have been they could have been done something to make it look more realistic, but it was definitely better than the other chessburst you saw early on. What's ironic is that that, that whole scene where they 
basically redo that scene for Requiem. That is one of those scenes that they managed to secure the budget from Fox to shoot additional footage. And yet several people on the forum said they had the, the they secured the budget. They were going to like reshoot that exact scene the same way. And it, it compared to the original way it looks in Anderson's one, it doesn't look nearly as good. And yet, and why you say, did, it's why, the same why prop. Yeah, why bother? But and yet they've redone it exactly with the same prop, and they had the money, and yet it looks worse. <laughs> I don't. So I don't personally. I don't really think it looks worse. I think what Omega Morph said was was pretty spot on. It was symbolic for the differences of tone in the film. You know, AVP. Even though you had monsters and slimy creatures, it was a very clean film. Whereas AVPR was trying to be more of a gritty grindhouse style horror film. And so even though you had the same prop in the same setting, the look initially was was very stark, and it gave AVPR its own identity. Now, I know it's an identity most people hated, but I, I dug it, man. I dug that grindhouse sleazy horror fest. I thought it was <laughs> great. But So so I, I didn't have a problem with the, the puppet looking bad. I mean, it was the same puppet. It was just different lighting, and it looked more gritty. So I think I it, it was remember a it looking more contrast. Fake. I mean, it was only like a half a second shot, if I'm But they, I mean, it was... But either way, I did like the the design they came up for it in the Anderson one. It was nice. It it is worth keeping in mind that I mean, I'm one of those that think there should have been some security thing on the actual spaceship to have alerted <laughs> them to it. But Anderson does point out in the commentary that he was very careful to have all the predators not wearing masks because he said that. In his mind, if they wore masks, they would have definitely known he was impregnated. The way I would have done it was to have it that maybe they, if I'd have had to put them on the ship, maybe they'd have put Scar in a special sealed off room and they put him there so that they could get a Predalien for another hunt. And then maybe it would have escaped. But, um, it, it, yeah, it, the reason Anderson, in his mind, his version of the continuity that it was meant to have not been realised because they didn't have their masks on. So um, whether you go along with that or not, that's um, that's what he's into. He was aware of that. Yeah. Being the bigger problem for me is that okay, you have the alien queen making sure to stab him through the stomach as opposed to the chest, but the other aliens are still clearly trying to kill Scar. And it would have been nice to have had. I mean, we knew because he got face hugged. It'd have been nice if they'd have not shown that. But we knew he'd been impregnated, so it would have been nice to have had him like up against the wall where you thought Scar was going to get killed. And then you'd have had that Alien 3 moment where they're going to. And then they like the other thing rushes off. So it would have been like it could have killed him, but it decided not to. And then maybe Scar would have gone, oh, shit, something's up with me. Because Scar would have realised it at that point. That would have been nice. There's a deleted scene from the end where Scar sort of, like, tries to put a knife to his chest. Yeah, with a ceremonial yeah. dagger, yeah. Yeah. So he cottoned on at some point. It's weird when he wakes up and he sees... I think he sees the facehugger there, or he, it's clear that he would have realised he's been facehugging it. He's just, like, walking around just not bothered. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've never really thought about that. In terms of him... Just Seemingly showing no concern over over that. Yeah, it, I mean, even if they've got the medical facilities, he should have realised, 
oh fuck, I'm a ticking time bomb. Especially with the much shorter gestation periods too. Probably should have gone more wild as well. I think Scar's gestation period was a little more in line with people wouldn't have had such an issue with it. Whereas what you actually see is, you know, as soon as the woman's woken up, she immediately chest bursts. I think it would have been more, there'd have been a length where maybe they escaped the sacrificial chamber then they chest bursted. Maybe they were regrouped and maybe Wayland would have seen them chest burst or something like that. That would have been a little more, you know, less continuity breaking. Okay. Anything else from anybody? I think we've covered a good chunk of it. No, I think that's pretty much it for me. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Like I said earlier, unless we get the Alien Covenant trailer, this is going to be our last podcast of 2016. It's also going to be the first one, first year that we've actually managed to get one, get one out every month with no issues. So, you know, I'd just, just like to thank everybody who's, who's been along, who's been listening to us. Um, especially thanks to all the guests that we've had on over the year. Um, you know, whether, whether it's people like, uh, Huda, just joining to chat with a bunch of nerds or people we've subjected to our questions like Wayne Hag last month. You know, we really appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate all the feedback we've had. Um, and, you know, it's nice to hear that you guys are, listening to it and you've got you know comments and, and suggestions and questions and what have you so please keep that up you know please please keep posting and letting us know and you know as always we're going to be going into 2017 you know there's it's going to be um, going to be even coming out next year so we should start kicking up the publicity campaign soon so there should be plenty coming out for us to check out and chat about and of course the predator will start shooting so there will be plenty of coverage of that, especially if they're out in the open in Vancouver. We've got spies everywhere. Didn't they say January? I think it's February. I think I heard February, yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, thank you. Um, be sure to follow us on, on Facebook, you know, Alien vs. Predator Galaxy. Twitter is AVP Galaxy. Instagram's Alien vs. Predator Galaxy. And who did you want to mention the wiki here? Uh, yeah, Xenopedia, as as usual. Uh, come along, have a look, get involved, do some editing, whatever. Be good if you if you fancy checking it out. And that's avp.wikia.com. Yep, yeah, any any Google search will bring it up. Yeah. Just AVP Wikia, I'll bring it up. So yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks to you guys for joining in with the chat. So this is Corporal Hicks. Xenomorphine. Omega Morph. And Ridgetop. And who the fuck am I? <laughs> Signing off. <laughs>